is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody. Episode number 189 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, June the 24th, 2023. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who tuned in last Saturday for what was an informative, candid, and somewhat controversial episode with Deep Value Investor Brent Wire. Tomorrow night on the channel, 9.30 Eastern, is the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auction Ending Watch Party with Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show. And then Monday, two days from now, is the second episode of MC Mondays Live. So come join us for the auction ending party, which will be occurring on eBay. They're, these are meant to be $1,000 items and higher. There are 58 lots in the MC Monday's auction this week. We had a great time two weeks ago, so please join us on Monday. Also, a channel note, I guess you could say, Taking Stock with Dennis Zender, also known as PC with DPZ, will now be changing to from being every Tuesday to every second Tuesday. Moving forward, we had, we had another great episode last Tuesday. Check that out on the channel if you haven't seen it yet. I would like to thank the Cards to the Moon podcast for having me on last week. Had a great time chatting with Clark and Hyung. We had a really cool discussion. You can check out that podcast on whichever podcast podcast platform you listen to. Again, Cards to the Moon and check out their, their pod if you haven't already. Also, want to thank Bench Clear Media and Hobby Palooza for having me on earlier today for their annual Hobby Palooza two-day content marathon. That was a lot of fun like to ask you to join over 400,000 people who have already downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps and card management features. Their app is the fastest and most accurate at card shows or at home to help you price your cards, build, organize, and share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using their new social sharing features. They've announced some exciting new grading partnerships, so check out their Instagram account and join me, please, in supporting the great team and the innovation they are undertaking over at Center Stage, the Center Stage app. Also, use protection, everybody. Practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to $1 million is fully insured by their guarantee to use Veriswap, upload your inventory, make trade, partial trade, full cash offers, and negotiate with thousands of traders already on the platform. Check them out on iOS and Android. And as part of a special offer through Sports Cards Live, your first trade on the Veriswap platform is only $1. There is a there is a link in the description of this video. And I just noticed that they are now launching an, uh, a, a promotion, an initiative for to crown the Veriswap trade champ. It actually looks pretty cool. So do check them out on Instagram. Want to thank Leighton Sheldon from Just Collect. He will be joining us for the Vintage Spotlight segment tonight. Be sure to also check out hobbynewsdaily.com for your daily dose of hobby news and entertaining content. It's a collaboration of various content creators. And tag grading, the Discord service is now live. So join other tag collectors who are chatting, buying, selling, and trading tag slabs, sharing picks, talking shop, and connecting with hobbyists who like transparent and reproducible grading. And if Discord isn't your thing, you can join the tag community 
on Facebook. It's another place to stay informed on all things tag grading. Go to taggrading.com and the community tab to join either. You'll also find out first about the tag grading drops and even surprise flash drops. As always, I want to thank all of our loyal viewers and listeners. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please take a moment and do so. And as always, your comments and your question tonight will be in play. So let's get to it. Tonight's guest started in the hobby watching his cousin pull the 1990 Pro Set Stanley Cup hologram and ripping Upper Deck and Opeachy Premier looking for Fedorovs and Jaggers. He went on hobby hiatus until 2016 when the Bobby Orr USA Tops Test card brought him back in. His favorite teams are the Toronto Blue Jays and all Canadian hockey teams, the Denver Broncos and the Dallas Cowboys. And his favorite athlete is Wayne Gretzky. Originally and currently hailing from Sudbury, Ontario. Let's bring him out. Robbie Pastry, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you, buddy? How are you doing right now? This is this is awesome, Jeremy. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to come on the show. Uh, truly honored, and I'm pumped up to start chatting cards with you, and thanks for that uh, introduction. I'm like a prize fighter right now, I think. Well, good. That's how, that's how, <laughs> it's, supposed to, that's how it's supposed to go. Well, it's uh, it's good to have you, Robbie. We've We've met in we've met on screen a couple of times, had some good conversations. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, uh, interesting things, I would say. Like you've you've got lots of interesting ideas, takes on the hobby. You've, you're you're building a great collection with your is it your brother in law that you're kind of building a collection with? You've got some you got some great stuff. There's no doubt about that. And so um, we're gonna chat about a whole bunch of things before we get into. It, let's just say a quick couple of quick hellos. We got Jake Dahl in the house. There's Brent from last week's episode. Good to see you. Lappers in the house, 90s hockey collector. Todd McDonald, Jeff McMahon. Welcome, everybody, to the show, The Tonight Show with Jeremy Lee. There we go. Thank you, Brent. So let's. we're going to jump right. You know, your hobby history. Why don't you just kind of give us the, a quick kind of review of, of that, maybe a bit more detailed than what, I just, than what I just gave, but just so the audience can get to know you a little bit better. Sure. So like everyone else, uh, Jeremy started chasing, collecting wax uh, in the early 90s. Basically me, my brother, my cousins on our grandparents' dime, running to the convenience store, buying any type of upper deck, like you said, Opeachy, Opeachy augers we could find. And then my cousin ended up uh, pulling the Stanley Cup hologram, which to hockey collectors in the 1990s. I mean, that's the grail. That's the first serial number hockey card. That's the OG refractor. So um, then took a hiatus for a little bit, like you said, high school, school and took over. Then uh, my cousin calls me up one day, just about seven years ago, and he says, hey, have you seen what's on eBay? And my cousin's a big time collector. He's got Hal's a bunch of stuff. And he said, there's a tops test or so then I said, what's a tops test or I, I don't know that. So then then the wheels started turning so that I got back into the hobby, did a ton of research, obviously had to take that card off of uh, eBay for my collection and then dove right in, started going on Heritage, collecting everything from Ty Cobb, Greenbacks to McDavid's. Um, and then, yeah, fast forward pandemic hits, fast forward 2020, my brother-in-law from Florida is in town. He's a stud, great guy, and he does a lot of financial financial stuff and analytical analytical stuff and i said okay so he's showing me his showing off his crypto portfolio and this list this stock portfolio and all the some of them uh you know some of the dollars he's making there and i am showing what i'm doing with cards so it was really the perfect uh partnership to his uh business savvy part partnered with my let's call it card uh addiction uh 
few of what we call bottom of the uh, nine sports cards, but basically it's a family type of a, a business. And what we do is we we buy, sell, flip, whatever you want to call it, modern, mod, mostly modern baseball, vintage, a little bit of vintage, but mostly modern cards, flip it and use it as a vehicle to try and curate what we think are the most historically significant hockey cards of all time. So we're in the process of slowly putting that together piece by piece. And and the cards, so you're flipping cards to to generate capital in order to add cards to a collection that you want to hold for the long term. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So, so you're so you're flipping your you're you're flipping your way into a collection for all intents. That's exactly that's exactly what I'm doing now. Sean Sean likes uh, as he likes to say that's my brother-in-law takes takes some profit along along the way. I have a hard time sometimes doing that, but it makes for some uh, interesting debates. Let's say between the two of us. Because you want the cards, right? You want I, I, I need the cards. I can't sell anything, man. I'm addicted. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's jump into the first card that that we're going to talk about. And this is a it's a big card. And it's a card that I know you're you're proud of. And why don't you tell us a story? I won't even say, you know which one it is. I won't even say which one it is. I'll let you say it. Um, and I don't know. Is it a card that you have with you? I don't remember. I got, I'll, I'll, I got it with me. Um... In presence, let's say, Jeremy. It's with me in presence, say. But I don't have it on hand right now. Okay. Well, I so okay. I'll show. I brought. I I pulled mine out so I can I can show mine a little bit. But uh, uh, but uh, tell us about this card. Yeah. So we're the uh, proud owners of the 1911 George Vesna rookie card. Um, I think it's the most historical uh, Canadian piece of uh piece of uh there and there there it is right there that thing's beautiful so we own the uh highest graded vesna rookie which is an sgc and an sgc9 so you may think you know why what led us to pick the uh the vesna so as a kid everyone knew the t206 wagner so i i loved looking at the t206 wagner it's that iconic card and sort of defines baseball so i said what hockey card defines hockey so we you know i've done some research and i knew a little bit about the vesna but then started reading on psa auction houses and they always refer to it as the 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 hockey wagner is what they'll say so a lot of the major auction houses so it's you know it has that honus wagner feel in the sense that it's a pre-war card it's a tobacco style card it's roughly the same shape it has that that same that same feel so since I couldn't afford a Wagner, obviously I have to go to the next best thing, which would be, uh, in my opinion, the uh, the hockey uh, Wagner. And I could still remember there was a, a Beckett article in April of 2007. I'll show you guys the, uh, the article a little later. But it, the title of the article and I was, was Beckett Hockey. It says the most expensive card ever to sell. And it was the George Vesna SGC9. And it sold for a record-breaking price of uh, 100k and that was in april 2007 when a gretzky psa 10 was sitting at uh, i believe seven uh 70k so you know so seeing that article as a as a kid that's what kind of led me saying okay we gotta we gotta track one of these bad boys down so uh we were fortunate enough to i lost it once uh i can tell you about that too but uh, i got it back so so you said we're gonna track one of these bad boys down but you decided to track down the highest graded by a third-party grading company copy of the Vezina rookie from the 1911 c55 series you you track down the best copy that exists uh we know, track yeah to- we track down yeah the grail the exact one that was in beckett the highest graded 1911 and sgc9 and that's the highest graded across 
P, uh, you know, uh, PSA. I don't think Beckett has any, but uh, across all the major grading companies, that's absolutely the highest graded one. Yeah, that's that's the grail. And when Beckett reported on it, they said it sold for $100,000. So that wasn't you. Uh, can I ask, did you have to pay more than 100000 less than 100 Did you get it for 100000 Yeah. So there was uh, a little, that's a great question, Jeremy. So a little, so a uh, quick little story about that. So uh, 2019 Heritage Auctions is auctioning off the Vesna. I come across it. I'm sort of, I'm back in the card game. I'm bidding on the Vesna. The Vesna is now at, you know, goes into extended bidding. I think it's like, it's about 2.30 a.m. And it's at about $54,000 American, no buyer's premium. My heart's beating a million miles an hour. My wife's beside me. She thinks I'm crazy. Why am I never put in bids of $56,000 on this card? But to me, something wrong was going on. This card sold in April 2007 for 100K. Here I got a chance the hobby's almost, you know, taken off, hasn't taken off yet, but is on the verge of exploding. I got a chance to take this thing down. So I keep waiting to like trying to wait this guy out. I don't know who I'm bidding against. So I keep waiting till there's about two, two seconds left, just trying to tire him out and then put in a higher bid, put in a higher bid. And then it, it got a little bit too steep. It started getting to the, about the high fifties. And then I calculated with a buyer's premium. So Christmas was coming. I didn't want to get a divorce from the wife. So I said, you know what, let's, uh, let's shut this down. And then I, uh, I backed out of it, so I, I didn't get it, and I and I regretted it. Fortunately enough, about a year later, it comes on eBay. We reach out, uh, we reach out to the seller. He just happens to live very close to my brother-in-law, so my brother-in-law meets with him uh, a few times. We just dis- we discussed the card, and I told him, you know, we got we got to close out this deal. And the reason we needed to close it out fast was that a Gretzky, uh, a Gretzky hadn't sold for a record pro well, a Gretzky at the time was still 400 K and he didn't hit that 1.29 mark yet. So I said, we got to close this card out before there's more eyes on the hockey hobby and this Vesna goes through the roof and I'll never see it again. So he meets uh, with the guy. The guy said he wasn't the guy we were bidding against because we told him about that in auction when we were uh, arranging a price. He said he paid a little under $100,000 for the card. So uh, we made him uh, an offer uh, over that with another card involved. And the other card is actually a, a Harry Houdini magic card, uh, believe it or not, which I have here. Um, and uh, yeah, we transacted the uh, we transacted the card. And you got it done. So how does it feel owning the, because I, I, you know, I will agree that the Vezina is, is kind of, not completely, but for the most part, hockey's version of the Tito six Wagner. And the reason I say kind of is because, you know, the Wagner card has the whole mystique of him wanting to pull the card from production and it being a short print where the Vezina is not a short print. But aside from that, it's, it is, it is that card. And, uh, Hey, I chased, I bought mine in 2007, I think it was. And it was the first, we pre the first like tobacco series card that I ever went for. So I agree with its importance. It's beauty. And he's still relevant today. Every year, the best goaltender in the NHL is awarded the Vezina Trophy after this guy right here. And that's the that's that's the card. And that this is the copy I've owned for 16 years now. So and that's, I, that's beautiful. What grade is that, Jeremy? I can't. It's an EX5. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, awesome. the color on it, the color is gorgeous. Yeah, it it's it's beautiful. So I do agree with you. Okay. Couple of hellos. Uh, Scotty Noble's in the house. What's going on? Good to see you. Carlos says hockey's the coolest game on earth. Mark Santucci in the house. Uh, Brand, you don't need. That's the nice thing about this, though. You don't need to know about hockey to follow the discussion. That's the that's the cool thing, uh, for sure. 
Carl Carey Price, Hall of Fame, yes or no? Justin Bode. Hey, man, long time no see. Good to see you. Nice to hear you've been picking up some cards. Vintage card collector is Vesna in the Pareto. And uh, very good, very good. Uh, okay, let's let's move on. We do have Layton's going to join us in about 15 minutes. And I want to get through it. We got a lot of topics here today. So the Gretzky rookie card. You have some thoughts on the Gretzky rookie card, like Tops versus Opeachy. There's lots of fakes and counterfeits out there. Uh, population population control uh the psa 10s that exist uh and also the signed gretzky rookie you have so i'm just going to turn it over to you um where do you want to start with all these all these topics within the gretzky rookie yeah i well first off i think you know in in hockey gretzky you know gretzky's it that's obviously that's the grail card and everyone does chase the opici version why because gretzky's canadian opici's you know a canadian company and Opeachy is a more scarce card. So that's why everyone kind of goes after the Opeachy. But we've uh, made some nice plays on some tops. And I currently see some little holes in the market where uh, there's value in the tops. And I actually purchased a few tops. Um, it's interesting. There's more, there's actually more Opeachy Gretzky's uh, totally graded than tops. So there's about 9,000 Opeachy's and there's 8,000 tops. It's not until you get into the lower population count that tops really takes over Opeachy. And I just did some uh, research today and that's in about a PSA five. So as soon as you hit a PSA five tops production pumps up. And why I say that is that um, a PSA eight Gretzky has a pop count that's about 40% uh, percent higher in the tops, but in the Opeachy version carries a hundred percent premium. So we seen that as a, a market sort of hole or a gap and ended up picking up, a very, uh, a very nice uh, SGC eight Gretzky tops and also a nine uh, tops, just given that, you know, the population of the tops to the OPG, they're not that far off. And especially it's really cool in a, for some reason in that PSA six is like the sweet spot. So for now, anyway, unless someone grades a bunch, but in a PSA six, the population count is probably within 10%. And, you know, an Opeachy will carry probably even close to like a 70% premium. So it's just a nice way to collect Gretzky at a sort of a, a cheaper entry point. But yeah. the card looks, uh, I like the tops too in that the blue looks different, right? So the blue has that crisper, crisper blue. It doesn't have the frayed edges. So, you know, there's uh, some advantages uh, to the tops. I know everyone's an Opeachy fan. Yeah, you can get the tops at a discount to the Opeachy. And I think, you know, it's, the Opeachy has always been more coveted and, and more valuable. Maybe, maybe mostly because Canadians who are the bigger sector of hockey collectors or segment want the Opeachy. It's what we grew up with, but Americans are more familiar with tops. And, the, and despite the fact that there's still probably more, and I, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess, I think there's probably more Opeachy's printed and out there in the world than there are tops. However, and that that kind of, maybe there's more tops actually because it was it was made for the U.S. market. But in the in the population on PSA, there are as you said, there's more Opeachies, and that is kind of something that could catch up to the Opeachie and give the tops a little bit of of a, of a bump relative to the Opeachie copy as time goes by. And you know, I, I made a similar move. I've got a couple of Opeachies. I've always had Opeachies. I never owned a Tops. Maybe I flipped a couple along the way, but I bought one about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. 
And I bought it because I saw what happened to the PSA 9. The PSA 9 Opeachy Gretzky went from a $4,500 to $5,000 card to a $45,000 card by like 2017. And I thought to myself, well, now the tops is worth about four to four to five thousand dollars, four to five thousand. I better grab one of those before it does the same thing. And I did, and then it did the same thing. So very glad I made that play when I did, and I still have that card. But I I also think that the tops is underappreciated, generally speaking, and it is a cleaner card, a, a better produced card as well. What, let's talk about the PS. There's two PSA tens, both tops and OPG, two of each. And you made a comment to me that uh, maybe the PSA 10 is too clean. Um, and I don't know if you meant the tops or Opeachy, but the two Opeachy PSA 10s that I've and I've seen, I, I, I've seen, I've seen them both. I've held at least one of them in my hand. Um, they don't, they don't seem like, like they, they are improvable, I would say. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a great uh, question, Jeremy. I thought the same too. So I haven't had the, um, the experience of holding both uh, in hand like you have, that's that's amazing. Although, you know, you can see some decent size quality photos when you, you know, fr from the internet. I find, to me, they almost look, um, at least one of the tens for sure, to me, almost looks too clean. And why I mean by, and I'm talking with the Opeachy. Opeachy, um, um, as some of you guys may know, was cut with um, a wire cutter. And, you know, as, as the wire cutter dulls, uh, the Opeachy cards are more prone to fraying. When I really zoom in on that PSA 10 Opeachy, I almost don't see any any frame. It's almost like it was it, it wasn't cut with that same equipment. Now I'm not here to you know say that it's a, it's a sheet cut uh, Gretzky in a PSA 10 holder, but I'm just saying it does look rather clean to me. I haven't you know I don't have the experience I've, I uh, like you do handling Gretzkys, but I have seen enough around um, to know that you know, what's an authentic Opeachy or not. And to me, it's just kind of, there's, it, it almost looks a little too clean. That's uh, on the card. I just wonder if it might've been like some copies of this card were the first ones cut before the blade, before the wires or the blades got dull. So, you know, yeah. there, there, there are some nicely cut uh, Opeachy cards out there, but it does, it does raise a red flag because we are conditioned to think that Opeachy cards should have that kind of those, those sorts of, rough edges um but no i appreciate the comment and 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 the thought on it for sure autographed gretzky rookies i mean there was a there was there was this legend that gretzky wouldn't sign his rookie card except for his 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 kid or his kids when i think he he the legend was that he signed one for his daughter paulina but he that was it and then he had a couple of boys after her and maybe he signed them for her for them as well then next thing you know you start to see more and more signed gretzky rookies come come out of the woodwork and i actually own one myself that was that was uh, obtained by the cameraman for hockey night in canada in the locker room i'm guessing it was done in his rookie year because this guy had thousands of autographed cards is what he did as a hobby as, as and he had access uh he passed away a, a guy i knew a, a, a acquired the whole collection from the estate and i was the first one on the scene and was able to buy uh a lot of the good cards from that collection and um Anyway, there are, there's lots of them out there now. So what are your thoughts on, 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 and I mean, there's a whole other episode that could be had on autographed vintage rookies, but the autographed Gretzky rookie, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I I, uh, I love it. I mean, before, you know, that was a, a faux pas in the, the hobby to have any type of rookie card ever 
ever autographed, whether it was, you know, an, um, a new, any rookie card shouldn't be autographed, like a Young Guns or anything. To me now, I, I think there's been a tendency, um, especially in vintage for, a, you know, a real premium uh, for an authentic autograph, hand autograph on, on any rookie card, really. So that's what I've been trying to um, hunt down and find. So I haven't purchased a Gretzky yet. I, you're right. I've seen, uh, there are a few, some of them, a lot of them are signed in uh, ink too. So they're signed with like a pen and blue ink somewhere with a black marker that I've seen. So I've just been trying to find uh, the right one there. You know, some of them, depending on the type, I'm, I'm just trying to target really an authentic Gretzky that looks good, but has his autograph on it. So I think it's pretty cool. And I think collectors eventually are going to go to signed autographed cards that are uh, that are rookies i think that's where we're going to be headed eventually so i've been even picking up like eiserman rookies and lower grade signed adam oats like some of that stuff i'm a collector just to have a an autograph on a card by you know a superstar is, is pretty cool it just adds another level of collectability to me right on yeah i think you're not alone a lot of people are moving that way it was sort of taboo for you know most of the history of the hobby to get your cards autographed and uh I have a few. I'm, I'm not. I don't see myself moving in that direction completely. I don't like see myself actually acquiring any more pretty much ever again. I've got the ones I want, but that's just me. And I respect that a lot of people are moving that direction. That the player touched the card. That's that's pretty cool. All right, we're gonna go to a couple more comments. Brent says, "I'm here. I'm watching, man. I'm here. <laughs> I'm glad you're here." Goes on to say, uh, "You're here to learn. He's here to learn." The professor, first time listening to Robbie. Bobby Burrell, good to see you. Nothing like good old George Vezina, no doubt. Eric in the house, what's going on? Thank you on the Vezina. Willie T, good to see you. Brent says, I'm here to learn. I like that approach. Cage Lawyer Minion. I don't know if that's the actual cage or not, but uh, in the heezy for Sheezy, <laughs> good to see you. Justin Bode got an SGCA Gretzky OPG. It's a beautiful card. The ink is amazing. Very, very nice. Very nice to hear. Carlos says for... For Pareto reasons, I'd get a higher graded tops for the long term instead of a low grade Opeachy. I mean, I, I I don't I think that makes sense. I for if you like the card, that makes sense to me. Joe Perot in the house, what's going on, my friend? Bobby Burrell says the tops Gretzky also has the blue lines on the front, but certainly not as prevalent as the Opeachy. And these are just like, you know, he's just talking about it's uh, this copy I have here doesn't really see them, but sometimes this is my autographed Gretzky rookie. But right down here, you often see these. Right there, especially you can see them. It's going to be tough to see here, but uh, yeah, you can't really see it. But you'll notice it if you look at your cards, for sure. Uh, Mark Santucci, yes, he's from Sudbury, Ontario. He is, he is. Once a spiritual teacher. Bobby Burrell informs us, no wire cutters ever used by Opeachy. That is that, and Bobby knows. They weren't, it was it was blades, but they got dull. Anyway, well, that's, that's another thing. But if there's anyone we can uh, trust on these things, the history of, of uh hockey card production it's bobby burrell uh mark says whose area is colder and has more snow probably uh probably robbie's does brent says in-person autos are in a mini bubble but that's you know is it a bubble the the problem i have with the word bubble is that bubbles do burst and this is like is it a bubble it's like or is it really just the beginning of a trend that could last a very long time? This makes sense. This isn't this isn't like NFTs or something. <laughs> Forgive me, NFT lovers, stupid like that. But it's like this is this. I don't know. Um, Eric says, I love getting rookie cards autoed. Every chance I get, I will have a player sign their rookie card. Yeah. 
All right, let's keep on going. Uh, we got a couple minutes before Leighton joins us. You've 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 had some transactions that you've done really well on, but you've also made some mistakes in in the market so far. And um, there's one example that uh, I'll get you to talk about. It has to do with a Gordy Howe 51 Parkhurst rookie card. Uh, why don't you speak to that? Yeah, so that was um, that was a mistake. We should have bought that card. So that was a case of everyone says buy the buy the card, not the grade. This time I should have bought the grade, not the card, because I could have sold uh, the card for more and flipped back and got a whole bunch more cards. But anyway, it was a uh, an SGC nine Gordy Howe rookie. Um, the registration was awesome on everything, but except for the most important part, which is his face. So his face almost looked like someone took um, an eraser to it you really you could see his eyes but it just it just didn't look right to me but here it is in a SGC 9 holder and that's like one of the highest graded uh, house there is so we were trying trying to at that time we had a chance to pick up that card for around 30 uh, 30,000 and then we um, I just got cold feet I just I, I didn't I didn't like it I, I just didn't feel that it was a nine although it was in an SGC 9 holder um, we lost the card, and then apparently it resurfaced about a year later at the uh, Toronto Expo. I don't think it sold, but apparently the uh, gentleman was trying to value the card around over close to a hundred thousand. So I don't know if it would be a hundred thousand uh, given that, but uh, how did go up quite a bit since that transaction? So um, that was definitely um, a mistake at that time because we could have just easily sold that card and bought, you know, a really nice SGC eight how instead of having the nine but that was one where you know buy the buy the card not to grade sometimes could could hurt you so to speak and i mean yeah we've been we've took some dusting on lots of uh, lots of cards you know so we bought a uh, mike trout walmart blue psa uh 10 i think we set the record price for that at around twenty thousand. now that card's maybe seven or eight thousand at the time jeremy it made absolutely perfect sense why because 2011 update trout there's 5,000 in circulation at the time it was selling just under five grand here you have the walmart blues got a pop 74 and it's selling you know for just under under 20,000 so to me that didn't make sense i thought the hobby would eventually get maybe more you know sophisticated with the math on the cards and eventually that would uh roll in and people would see value in these walmart blue uh uh in these walmart blue trout so that uh, the market corrected, let's just say, and it didn't correct in the right way for us. And that uh, Mike Trout sank literally to the bottom. So uh, I'm still holding uh, holding that one. And yeah, we got beat up. Me and my brother bought uh, Mahomes cards during the Super Bowl, which never to do again. But yeah, so we were drinking maybe some of the uh, Jeff Wilson Kool-Aid uh, that he made us. I don't know, <laughs> with uh, selling us on Select. But I really like Select. They're nice cards. They're low pop. They're in 2017. We ended up buying some field level uh prisms and premiers and i think on if we were to use that market movers tool we're like the the we're above the peak at what we paid on that my reasoning at the time was hey Mahomes wins another super bowl the cards are going to go up Mahomes loses they'll go down but they're going to go up 30 percent you know into the next season that that never panned out and everything sort of came down i don't even want to know what the pad those patty cards are doing now and then you realize that when he won the Super Bowl, that everybody flooded the market with his cards to capitalize, yeah. and the value just went down. It's the it's the opposite it, of what what you. It went down, think. so I'm gonna yeah. So I got these I got these bad boys here, Jeremy, up for up up for up for grabs, man. That I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what to do with them. Maybe you should just <laughs> hold them. Maybe you should hold them and see what happens down the road. He's still he's still a, a great player. You know, you talked about 
where you should have bought the grade, not the card, because you could have, you know, you would have made some money on that. And that's a fair, a fair comment related to what I believe is by the card, not the grade. But when I say by the card, not the grade, I say that for my collection. That's what I'm saying it for, for cards that I want, because, you know, you can, I feel like whoever set the record on buying that card eventually where you would have made money if you were the owner made a bad buy. Like that wasn't, that was, that was a, a, a non-savvy purchase by that person. So I do believe that eventually the eye appeal of the card within the grade is going to overtake the grade itself. Eventually we're not there yet. There's still a lot of people who are all about the, the PSA set registry and just all about the PSA brand for their cards. But I think that that's, I, I think that, that the eye appeal is going to eventually, and things change in the world, everything, everything's cyclical, things will change. I think we'll get there. So, but despite that, you're right. You you would have made money if you would have bought the card in that grade at that time. So um, all right, we're gonna get into uh we're gonna get in some hot takes and uh and actually one of them we have is gonna we're, we're gonna in- involve our friend uh Leighton Sheldon from Just Collect. <laughs> we're gonna bring you out in just a minute, Leighton. I just wanna run through a few more comments so that we, we can get caught up. So Brent says, uh, sometimes making the right move still loses money. I've been there many times and you think you're making the right move. And in hindsight, you realize you didn't make the right move. If it's really just a flip transaction. I mean, I've bought cards for two, for more than I should have as well in hindsight and sold them at a loss. I, but I don't know that any card dealer flipper, anybody who buys and sells worth worth their weight in salt. I don't know if that's the cliche. Um, actually hasn't lost some money somewhere at some point on a card. And if you haven't, you're either you're lying to us or lying to yourself or a bit <laughs> of both. So I definitely think there's something there. Uh, Bobby Burrell says it was once published in Beckett long ago that wires were used for cutting cards and error on their part. They used slitter blades. Very interesting, Bobby. And I wish I could remember everything Bobby's ever told me because then I wouldn't say the wrong thing, uh, you know, in the aftermath. Justin Bode says the card market has got to be like the stock market back in the 1880s. That's why it's awesome. Unregulated, maybe. Colin Murray, what's going on? Sports MD, good to see you. Thanks for joining. And Bobby Baseball says one idea to consider is that both the card and the grade, the combo of both sets the price against demand. No, well, I think part, Bobby, I mean, listen, I'm sure there's cases where it does, but I think that that not all the time because there are people that just ignore the card and just focus in on that grade. And that's all they buy. I see Nate and Leighton, Nate, I see Nate and lauding. I see Leighton nodding. So let's bring him out right now and let him, uh, Leighton, you, you experience that same sort of thing where people just ignore the card and buy the grade alone. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, you know, as far as like the analogy of the stock market, right. I mean, aren't there some people who no matter what they're told, they diversify. And then there's other people, no matter what they're told, they buy three stocks. I don't know what's right. I'd probably ask Warren Buffett. Uh, but yes, there's people in, in card collecting that clearly just buy the grade, right? And they, they're concerned with how it looks. Um, excuse me, the, the IPO of the card. And there's other people who just literally buy the card. As long as it's a seven, they don't care what it looks like. It fills the slot. That could be a set. That could be a team set. That could be an individual PC. That could really also be an investor that doesn't necessarily care or think it matters as much as maybe real collectors do you know i'm not i'm not sure but it's, it's interesting topic yeah so first of all Leighton, robbie robbie Leighton. i know you guys hey, have had some some dms uh, between 
Pleasure to meet you. So one thing that I wanted to talk about with getting you guys both on the screen together tonight is something where, so uh, I guess Robbie was watching the episode Leighton last Saturday with, with, with Brent Weyer, a deep value investor. And you were making some comments about the Babe Ruth Sennel. I believe it's a 1932 card. Is that right? 1932? I, I think you might say I was talking smack. It's possible. You were maybe talking smack about the card. And then when I was chatting with Robbie earlier this week, he's like, I, you know, I watched the show. I, 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 I heard what Leighton said about the Sanella Babe Ruth. And he's like, I actually love the card. And I thought, well, perfect. Let's talk about it. Now, we are going to have, obviously, we're going to have a, a you know, a, a very open discussion here about it. But let's start with, let's start with you, Leighton, because let's refresh what you said last week a little bit. And now that you know, because I primed you for this, I let you know that we were going to talk about this and that Robbie loves the card. Um, let's hear your thoughts on it. And then, Rob, you can counterpoint why you like it. And let's see uh, where, where we end up on this, guys. So, Leighton, please. Well, sure. Let me start by saying is if anyone wants to donate any of their Sonella roofs to me, I'm not like opposed to having any in my PC. I'm certainly open to donations. But if you're talking about, you know, kind of getting serious and getting back to center for a second, hey, like, how do I deploy my money that's not unlimited, right? We all can't be Hal Steinbrenner who collects, you know, a lot of people know that, or Ken Kendrick from the Diamondbacks. Um, You know, we don't have unlimited money. So as far as I'm concerned, and I'm just going to throw it out there, right? Robbie, please correct me because it seems like you know a fair amount about the card. Um, You know, it costs real money. So in other words, I was looking on eBay. There's about 60-something examples of the Sneller roof, mainly at Buy It Now. And it seems like a four is about a thousand-ish dollars, if I'm not mistaken, right? And so the card itself, what I think is cool about it, is that it's like more resembles art to me. You can't really see his face clearly. Um, I do think that the colors are, are kind of neat. Um, and if I hadn't been in cards so long, and I just saw it today at like a street fair, I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. You know, put it on a stand, maybe put it in, you know, my office, it'll look kind of neat. Except the thing is, there you go, exactly. So it's an attractive looking card in the sense of, um, you know, it's a piece of art to me. You can't see his face so well, right? And it was distributed, and Robbie will be able to talk more about how it's distributed, but it wasn't distributed mainstream, if you will. And so if my take is that if the card was cheap, buy it up. But the card is not cheap. And actually for a thousand-ish dollars, I want to make sure that people, and by the way, do I own a couple of Ruth strip cards? Yes. Do I own a couple of Babe Ruth photos? Yes. But I own such a small amount versus the market. But I, Robbie and Jeremy, I'm sure you can respect this, but the way content is both produced and relayed these days on the internet, I want to make sure, like full disclosure, I do own a few of those cards. I do not own a Sonella Ruth. Maybe by the end of today's session, I'll be convinced to buy one for my PC. Um, but that being said, uh, I feel like for the money that it costs these days, and I feel like the Ruth Sanella went up in price because the demand and the price for the Gaudi Ruths went up. Therefore, people turned to other Ruth cards that they could afford. But my issue is that it's so expensive even still with the way the market is, you could potentially get for a thousand-ish US dollars one or a couple, meaning two potentially Babe Ruth photographs that original type ones. Now, he might not be in uniform. He might not be swinging a baseball bat, meaning he might be wrestling a bear. You know, he could be in the forest, you know, who knows? But like, to me, that's such a cooler way to deploy my money as far as if I'm a collector, right? And then as far as if I'm an investor, even though I believe me, know nothing about owning an art gallery, 
All I have to do is look on eBay. The Babe Ruth Sinel is not, you know, hard to get. And if you actually do the numbers and you look at, um, at least from what I glanced at earlier today, because as Jeremy told you, Robbie kind of, you know, uh, told me a little bit about what we're going to talk about. Um, there's like 130-ish, 133 to be precise, Babe Ruth Gowdies on eBay across all four poses, including auction as well as buy it now. So when you divide that by the four poses, there's actually less available Gowdies, which people, you know, have said there's 7,000 the pop report and all this kind of stuff. My point is the demand's really high. And so all I think that's happened to the Babe Ruth Sinella is people have turned away from the main Babe Ruth Gowdy cards or other Babe Ruths that cost a lot more. But if I had a thousand bucks, I'd buy a photo or two, I'd buy a strip card. And not because I like the Babe Ruth strip cards, but because I don't have to explain to anyone what it is. I don't like when you have to explain to one. I'll be honest, I still don't even know what the Snella Ruth is. And I'm sure after today's, you know, discussion, I'll have a lot better information about it. But the joking aside, um, I just feel that you could deploy your money better truly as a collector. And I would enjoy the pieces more. But that doesn't mean that I'm right. It's just my, it's my, it's my preference for like what I would enjoy in my collection. And, and, and you are entitled to it 100%. So I'm surprised that you guys don't know what this card is. Cause, and, and <clears throat> I'm only surprised because I didn't know what it was either until I looked into it a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I, as we say, the beginning of sports cards was like baking soda in the 1800s, tobacco in the 1910s, yeah. chocolate and candy in the 1920s. And in the thirties, it was maybe gum, I believe, but it was also margarine, the Sinella. Sanella, I believe, was a margarine company. So this, which makes me wonder, how big is the checklist? If is, if is it more than even one? Like I don't know. Are there other Sanella? Well, actually, there is. This is number. It's number eighty-three. It says right on the top of the PSA label there, Sanella margarine. So uh, and there were eighty. It, it is number eighty-three. So that's pretty interesting. As Mark Santucci says, it's a food card. Yeah, margarine being being a food, uh, not a food that I recommend eating, but it's definitely a food, no offense, base cell or whoever. But um, but anyway, that's what I know about it. And I was also surprised how many were available when I looked it up. And when I kind of Googled it to find an image, hundreds of images loaded. So, okay, thank you, Leighton. That's what I know about it. Robbie, please, why do you like the card so much? Uh, maybe your history with it and uh, anything else you'd like to say? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the Sinella, maybe if Brent's on and Leighton's on, it's it's the opposite of the Pareto principle. This is the, the anti-Pareto card, if you will. But um, no, the reason why I like the Sinella, so I have a, because it's a pre-rookie and I, we can get into that a little later, uh, Jeremy, but I do collect pre-rookie cards. So, you know, everyone call, you know, Babe Ruth is 1933. Okay. So this is a 1932. It's a lower, um, it is a low pop card. If you look in, at the population, uh, the Gaudis across the board of all of them, like you said, late, and I think there's around 7K um, with uh, across all four types. The Sinella is actually, when you look it up, they'll show four types, but there's only three. There's type one, type twos, type threes. Type four, PSA has graded them, but they're actually a type one. They just made an error on it. So there's actually uh, types one to three. So it's kind of mimics the Gaudi in that, 
essence that there's multiple versions of it, but the versions aren't as cool, obviously, as the Gaudi and that the only thing that makes the Sinellas different um, is if you flip it over, it's the location of the Sinella logo. So if Sinella's on the top and maybe I, I forget a type one, if it's in the middle or the bottom, and then there's a little number uh, written in the middle of the card on the back of it that sort of also dictates whether it be a type one, type two, or type three. But the whole pop count of the Sinellas are uh, I think maybe around 16, 1700 across, uh, across all types. So that's, that's what sort of led me to believe it. And, you know, your lowest grade Ruth is say, you probably get a PSA one Ruth beat up for maybe $5,000. Well, like you said, uh, although not cheap as Sonella is a, a decent entry point, it's another option at a thousand dollars for a four. And you can probably get a one for, uh, I'm assuming, you know, in, in the low hundred. So I just find it's, a nice space for to collect a, a vintage, a vintage true, not a true Ruth card, but a vintage Ruth card um, on an affordable budget, really. And these Sanella cards are, let's face, are going to be in the hands of usually a collector. So they're not going to be pumped. I don't think anyone's on their social media or Instagram flexing, you know, a PSA for Sanella, right? So it's, there's maybe a tendency, maybe for some more organic growth, you could say if pre-rookies do become a thing, but I just find it's a, a, a sort of mirrors the Gaudi that there's multiple images of it. It's Babe Ruth sort of in the same era. Yeah, it's from, you know, the downsides, absolutely. It's from a, a German margarine uh, company and it's written on German in the back. So, you know, it's aesthetically not as pleasing, but it's still a, a cool entry point. You could even take it a step further. They have the Sinellas and the real rare ones are the, uh, um, I don't know the pop counts on those, but they're a lot less is the Astra would basically looks exactly like a Sonella, but it says Astra margarine on it. And those are even really scarce if you want to get into the weed. So it's just, a, I thought, a cool little entry point. Leighton, I got some stuff to say, but I'll put it back to you to respond. Yeah, no, Robbie, I mean, you make great points. And as far as like entry point, that's kind of what I was talking about before. So I used the Babe Ruth 4 Sonella as the $1,000 example. But let's just use a lower grade Sonella. I feel like for $300, you're right. It's a really wonderful way to be able to enter the Ruth card market. And by the way, I think it's a real card. You know, make no mistake. Uh, it's just not one that, like, even if I had 300 bucks and that's all I was limited to, believe it or not, you know, you can go in, like, a Hunt auction or Heritage and you could buy a $300 Babe Ruth photo. And to me, pop count aside, because that stuff drives me wild with, like, vintage stuff. And that's a whole other episode, right? Um, but as far as the collectability, I think it's great. Uh, Robbie, I totally agree with you. It's very affordable. I just feel like if I'm walking around with my eight-year-old son, Crosby, who I was on the phone with earlier tonight, and we're at a card show, and he has 300 bucks, and this is hard-earned money, I just know what I would advise him. Who knows if I'm right, Robbie? I would just point him. And by the way, you can't, for those watching, you really can't buy a $300 Babe Ruth strip card. So to Robbie's point, you know, if you have a 1000 for a Sonella 4, yeah, you're going to be able to find potentially like an authentic Ruth strip card. Right. But, you know, you're not going to be able to get a Ruth strip card for 300 bucks or 250 or whatever the number is for a lower grade Sonella. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, and, you know, listen, there's a lot of folks that like collecting foreign, you know, not just cards, but right. If you step out of the fact that it's a card, people who went to an antique shop might think it's really cool. Oh, my goodness. It's this Babe Ruth card. It was produced in Germany. Um, you know, it's affiliated with margin. By the way, I hope you guys would appreciate it. I did do my research before today's uh, call. I was familiar with the, the Sonella enough, but I didn't feel like it was really, you know, uh, prudent of me to be, you know, sharing my Google research, right, and pretend I'm a Sonella um, expert or a Sonella snob, because I'm not. 
Um, but uh, Robbie, I really do appreciate where you're coming from on it. And, and, and truth be told, right, if we had two eight or 10 year old boys and we were walking around a convention, neither one would be right or wrong. You know, if you said $300 Bay Ruth photo, $300 Bay Ruth Sneller card, that's what makes the world go round and really the collecting world, especially. Uh, and I think it's super cool. All right. Well, right. And, and let's face it. After this, we've got we've got about 70 people watching right now. I'm guessing some of them are checking out what these things sell for right now. So maybe uh, maybe, the the card, yeah. maybe the card will will enter uh, a mini bubble today. Uh, Sean Reed, Sean Reed here put in Astra. So that was calling out, as you mentioned, the that there was another version or another label, another card that uses the image. He says 22 PSA Astra grade. And I checked the Sonella. It's under 400 total copies graded by PSA. And there's only, there's only, they've only graded type one and type three. They've never, they've never graded a type two or a type four or whatever else there might be. So that's pretty interesting as well. Maybe the type two is super, super rare compared to, uh, to type one and three, if it even exists. But Sanella wasn't a baseball set. It it covered a lot of different topics, uh, sports and other otherwise, I believe, just from scrolling through the uh, the pop report here. So interesting stuff. Leighton, was there anything else that you uh, you felt you wanted to chat about that you heard us talking about earlier, or anything else going? On? I noticed you are indoors tonight. You you did say you might be walking the streets of Manhattan, but you're uh, you're in you're in your place, so that's nice. What uh, anything else going on? Yeah, no, things are calm, which is great. Um, you know, it was interesting. I was uh, checking out some YouTube content. If you haven't checked it out, they have a really cool channel. It's, I think, Chasing Cardboard. It's, you know, Bench Clear Media. You know, it's all about buying collections. And the reason why people have been recommending it to me is because basically they've been saying, hey, late, you're already doing this. X, Y, Z, A, B, C, right? You should do this, this, or that. And so I really didn't watch it, but I was walking around a bunch today, Hoboken in New York City, and I was listening to their content. And so they had a recent video on tips that they wanted to share about buying collections. And so I'm not going to regurgitate, you know, what they talked about, check it out if you'd like. But I thought there was one interesting tip they didn't cover. And I feel with the national about 30 days away, I know this might sound very much like a dealer, but I really feel as a collector, because believe me, I go to the national wearing like four different hats, right? I'm a collector, I'm a dealer, treasure hunter, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but as far as when you're going to buy something, I don't mean like a discretionary purchase. You're going to go buy a pack of cards for eight bucks. You know, you're buying an autographed photo for your niece for 20 bucks or whatever the case is. No, I'm talking about something, let's just call it north of $100, right? Because we don't know what other people's money means to them. So if it's a purchase of $100, I know I don't just throw a $100 bill around uh, buying something. So if you're going to be going out there to the national, and this is where, you know, my inspiration came from was in terms of the tips that were offered to me by chasing cardboard, buying collections. So even though you're not gonna to go to the national and you're gonna be buying collections, I thought about at least what first came to mind, my mind as I consumed this content was this. When you're going to the national or when I'm buying collections, putting aside all the chit chat, learning about all the good stuff, here's the deal. All the money is made on the buy. That's it, it's that simple. So if you're a collector, I'll put it in collector terms, and you have $225 for the whole national, which by the way, if you do, you still have a great time. Just keep in mind, it's gonna be expensive walking around. So if you're clear 225 and that's what you can spend, whether it be it's one card or several, you only have one, one chance to buy it. You can have many chances to sell it. 
but you only have one chance to buy it. And so whether it be at $225 or $2,000 or $20,000, whatever your budget is, walking around the national as a collector, as a dealer, as an investor, just understand that that simple few word sentence is really gonna, even if you just pinch yourself, but because really, right? No matter who you are, you still don't have an unlimited amount of money. So don't get caught up in the excitement, but if you wanna pull the trigger on that first item in that first hour, believe me, I hope I do, um, but I'll make sure that I'm prepared for it. And if I don't like it, I'll punt. I don't mind, you know, if I miss it, I miss it. But if it's for my PC, it's different. I get a little more aggressive. Uh, yeah. But that's what I wanted to share for today. No, good. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I, I, I agree with it, and I've got more things to say about it too. But uh, so I'll say them, and then I'll let you go, Leighton. How about that? So that's great. I, you know, there's a there's a lot of advice out there. Well, first of all, this this also ties into what Robbie was saying before with the Gordy Howe, the SGC nine Gordy Howe rookie. He had a chance to buy it, didn't, and then regretted it. And sometimes you don't want to you don't want to have the the non-buyer's remorse you know the which is like FOMO pretty much but it's FOMO after the fact it's FOMO that kicked in um but what I what I was going to say about it was that a lot of people when giving advice for going to card shows and the national will say yeah it's a big show there's hundreds of dealers so when you get there have a piece of paper and a pen well do your first round and note all the cards you like and what booth they're at and then you can decide where you want to put your money and you can go back and buy the card. I'm like, no, that's the worst advice. Unless you're buying a card where there's a, you know, several of them in the room, like common commodity type cards, fine. You can wait till next week or you can wait till next year to buy it. But if it's a rare card that you really, really want and it's a good card, like uh, you're not the only one that wants it, you have to buy it when you see it. Because if you do that, if you saunter around for a couple hours and then, oh, what am I going to end up buying? There's thousands of people in the room. Chances are someone else is going to want that card and they'll be a little bit smarter than you are just quicker to the trigger and they will buy it. So my advice is if you see a card early on in the show, if it's at the first or second table you get to, you know, yeah, you might see a card you want more a little bit later, but it's a risk you got to take because if you don't, that card is probably going to be gone when you go back to that table. So. So Jeremy, basically it seems like you just gave everyone permission who's there on the first day of the national to like rush people aside, push people around. Cause you know, it's going to be tough out there. <laughs> well, that's why I go to card shows. That's why one of the reasons why I like set up as a vendor, you get in there early and you get first look at everything. I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to the national on Saturday. Everything, all the, all the good stuff is bought up by now. There's, there's circulation there. The inventory is turning over during the five day show as well. So there will be new things that enter showcases, but if you go in there on Saturday, yeah, you don't know what you didn't see. So you're not going to feel too bad about it, but you're going to have a way better selection if you get in there Wednesday morning when it opens. So those are my thoughts on that. Layton, thank you as always for joining. You guys can follow Layton on Instagram at Layton underscore Sheldon and at just underscore collect and check out his podcast, Trading Card Therapy. Layton, thanks for joining. We'll see you next time. Take it easy, Robbie. Take care. Pleasure meeting you, Leighton. Nice meeting you as well. Take it easy, Jeremy. Okay, let's uh, let's let's pick up where we left off, Robbie, and uh, talk a bit about. Okay, so you were talking about some deals where you crushed it, some deals where you you how did I forget how you put it? You uh, 
you got dusted on or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. we got. Yeah, we talked about the. We haven't talked about the crushings yet, Jeremy. We, we did. I do. Crushings. Sometimes I do make. Uh, we do make some savvy moves. Some, some. Tell us about a couple of deals where you've crushed it, and then I want to go to some comments. Awesome. So, um, one of our record sales was uh, Carby talked about before. Jeremy was a Burt Corbeau. So a uh, Burt Corbeau short print rookie. We picked that up for maybe 20, uh, around 20,000. And within a year later, we sold that for uh, set a record for 42,000. It was an authentic Burt Corbo, which is a short print uh, run card. So uh, that was a, a, a nice play where we took some profit and again, rolled that into some other hockey. We um, did really well um, in the soccer market actually too. So we picked up, uh, there was a lot of in the mid kaboom hype or early kaboom hype. So we picked, uh, picked up a PSA 10 Mbappe kaboom for around 3,500 and sold it, I think for close to a record around 20, uh, 20,000 for uh, an Mbappe kaboom. So that was a nice, uh, some nice turnaround there that covers up some of our, uh, some of our losses, let's say. And a lot of the stuff, I mean, has gone up in value, but we're just holding it. So we've uh, made some nice moves on some tops test ores, a bunch of Wayne Gretzky's, Got in uh, at a fairly decent price on an SGC 451 uh, Bowman Mantle. So um, we've got some decent entry points uh, on some cards. And like Leighton said, all the money is really made uh, on the entry in cards. That's what uh, I learned. If you can get a card for a good deal or it's just the right timing, you get lucky, there's less eyes on an auction. It's all about the entry, uh, the entry point of a card for sure. Yeah, no, I think there's a, a lot to be now. I mean, you you could you could pay high on a card and then it goes up in value and make money that way as well. But I think I think that you know there that's not just a, a term used in sports cards, that's a term used in, in lots of businesses where the money's made on the buy. So um definitely, definitely I'm gonna ag agree with that, uh, generally speaking couple of comments that have come in. Jake Dahl here said, why don't common semi-star vintage cards, uh, why aren't they collectible? I don't mean sale value, but just for Seth collecting in general. And I think some of them are, Jake Dahl. Look at this uh, this run of 69 tops basketball PSA 10s that have been selling for like 75K uh, per card for players I've never heard of. So there is value in that for sure. Um, but as I've, as, as I think I discussed last week uh, on the episode with Brent, like, I don't, I don't know how I'm, I'm just concerned that when set collectors, like full set, like uh, of 60s, 70s, 80s tops, baseball, basketball sets, when those sets end up being broken up and sold, uh, what are those commons going to sell for at that time? I don't know. There's, you know, Leighton does a bit, does a lot of set break business and other people do too. But, you know, 20, 30 years from now, I don't know what, what those commons will go for. Are there going to be other people still working on those sets? Maybe, probably, I don't know. Uh, Decoy, though, responds as I wonder if it's because there's less available media of many of those players as opposed to top tier players, which could mean in the future there may be more widespread appreciation of them uh, as anyone can look up a highlight reel now. And I don't know, like you're going to still have to be, they're going to have to be brought to your attention if you're going to go looking for them. Cage here says that the uh, the Sinel is a beautiful card too. I did a whole episode on it. Great card. I also like the cash in from 1929. And and Robbie, you referred to the Sinel as a pre-rookie, but Babe Ruth's rookie, I believe, is a 1914 uh, Baltimore News card. So yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. So uh, yeah, so when I meant pre-rookie is 
predating the 1933 Gaudi in the sense it's like it's an earlier card, you know. It's yeah, an and, yeah, pre Gaudi, and I figured you meant that. Yeah, baseball card curmudgeon. That was what is going on. Bobby Burrell said many European issued cards like the Sinella were used by multiple companies, so the multiple companies use the same images. And uh, yeah, that's uh, I've seen that a few times now in in my hobby travels. And then Bobby Burrell says the Burt Corbo, the card that you were talking about, this this is a the Burt Corbo is as close to the Honus Wagner as the George Vezina is, but it's close for a different reason. It's the short print from the 1923 William Patterson set, which, as Bobby said, is uh, the, a landmark set. I agree. The, the Patterson set from 23 is a landmark set. It's got four key Hall of Fame rookies, among others, but it's got Bert Corbeau, who was a common player, but his was the card that was short printed so that kids would have to open up more chocolate bars to send in and get a bicycle or whatever it was that they could redeem it for. Imagine how, imagine if the bicycle took three years to get or 10 years, how much trouble these companies would be in for delayed redemptions compared to, to right now. But, uh, but Bobby does point out the Corbo is, is, uh, is kind of the key card. Although the set is considered complete without it because it's so hard to come by. And, like, I used to have a complete set of that, of, of 23 Patterson, but I never even cared about the Corbeau. I personally don't care about the Corbeau because he was a common player that me- means nothing to me, whereas from that set, Howie Morenz, Oral Joliot, uh, uh, Jack Adams, I mean, those are the guy, King Clancy, those are the cards that I own, and I love owning. I have no interest in the Corbeau because, to me, it's only, it's like, it, it's like the Johnny Moore from 86 Fleer. It's now it's different. It's scarce for a different reason because of grading, but he's a common player. Uh, and it's a and it's kind of the the short print or the 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 rarer card based on grade. So, but in any event, thank you, Bobby. And uh, but you do you do or have had a Corbeau. What, what can you tell us about that, or did you already? Yeah, no, so yeah, uh, I mentioned that. So I did uh I do I did love the Corbeau just for that fact, the mystery behind it, right? And why it was short printed. I didn't buy it to complete the set so I could send it in and redeem the skates, Jeremy. But uh, uh, it was a cool card. And I remember seeing it at the uh, Toronto Expo years ago. There was one there and there was like a, a crowd gathered around it. So I'm like, man, that's a, a really cool card. So I, I ended up buying that one. And it was uh, was a pretty, that was a tough card for me to sell, to be honest. I didn't really want to sell it. That's where my my evil brother-in-law, Sean, uh, <laughs> said, you know, there's too much profit here, Rob. We got to, we, we, we got to take some off the table and, and move it. So, uh, we, we, we did sell it. So, um, yeah. but I, I will, uh, Jeremy try and find another one for the, for the collection. So I do, I regret selling it and I don't in the same, uh, in the same sentence. Sean Reed wants to know, do you prefer the Corbo with or without the hole punch? Did yours have the hole punch or was it an unredeemed copy? Ours was, ours was unredeemed. And it, it and it looked uh, it looked beautiful. It was just it was graded authentic, and the reason it was authentic is that someone touched up the corners. But if you looked at it, it would probably be the highest. Like that that, that was the reason I didn't like selling it. It probably would have been one of the highest aesthetically pleasing corbeaux if someone didn't take some white to the corners. Like it yeah. looked immaculate. Right on. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's uh, let's let's move on. Um, we've still got so many topics. So I, like I told you, we're not going to get to everything, but we're going to we're going to do our best. Let's talk about we're going to go into my the topic of my notes that I have titled as hot takes. And the first one is what you call the neutral zone card trap. 
Why don't you explain to us what is the neutral zone card trap and what do you think about it? So basically what I'm saying with the neutral zone card trap is you don't want to collect, Jeremy, what everyone else is collecting at that time. Because by the time you hear about, you know, this is what the next hottest thing is, you've probably already missed, you've already missed a boat. And a lot of these social media accounts that are giving, you know, here's the top five cards going up. Well, I don't want to know if when I see the top five cards going up, I'm, I'm not buying going nowhere near the top five cards going up. It, that should be a trigger in your mind to say, okay, these are the top five card, top five cards I'm selling right now. Cause I guarantee you they, they will eventually go down. So it's more of, you know, when people are selling plays, giving plays, usually by the time the play comes into your hands, it, it, it's, it's very, infrequent let's say that you're actually going to do well I, I have done well on uh some plays that uh, uh i've followed but for the majority it's the most you know it's been more of our own ideas and our own sort of uh, projecting and forecasting where the market's gonna go that we really did uh we really did well on i re- i think you make a great point i agree with you if, if as soon as you see a top five cards going up they've gone up yeah. So you you miss you're too late at that point. It, it's 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 informational. It's it's interesting that these are the cards that are, it's like when it's like when you used to get the Beckett magazine and you had the up arrows. Doesn't mean that they're gonna go up tomorrow. It means they went up over the last month since the last magazine came out. So yeah, you know that, that that's all that means. And uh, I think you're 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 making a good observation there. Um, and it's just also Jeremy with like careful. Sometimes you'll see these social, a lot of these social uh, media accounts say. You know, they're, they'll post a card to insinuate this is what they're buying now to get you to buy that card. They just didn't, a lot of the times they just don't, they didn't just buy that card. They're actually selling you that card. They bought that card probably six months ago, a year ago, but now they're showing you that they're buying that card to get you in and they're going to move that card on, uh, you know, about four that's, minutes uh, after they post it. That's called the pump and dump right there. Uh, I also was going to ask you uh, for your thoughts on last week's discussion with with Brent Wire, the deep value investor, uh, your thoughts on the Pareto principle as you understand it. Yeah. So the, uh, the Pareto principle. No, that was a great, uh, a great episode with uh, Brent on loved uh, some of his analytical reasoning and sort of bringing, you know, sort of. Uh, you know, mathematics and that into the uh, equation and the Pareto principle is nothing new. I mean, it's been in economics um, forever. It's, you know, some people call it the 80, 20 rule. Um, We use that in medicine all the time. It's like you see the same 20% of your patients, 80% of the time in office. Now, I mean, that's an an overgeneralization. And I think that's the major fault of the Pareto principle is it's sort of a blanket statement. It's an overgeneralization. Sometimes it makes perfect sense. And sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, of course, putting and consolidating your dollars in the highest quality asset is going to be a good idea. Like who wouldn't want a, what is it, uh, Babe Ruth, uh, Sporting News, Babe Ruth autographed, signed on the eve that he called his shot, you know, something like that. Like everyone's going to sign up for that. But that's just not realistic for 99.99999 um, percent of the hobby you know so i still like to collect right so how am i going to get into this ultra 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 high-end stuff so i like buying the best you know vintage card i'm more of a vintage guy the best vintage card that i can afford and i mean i've owned 
beat up vintage cards just to have in my collection that I'll probably never sell, but I got in at them at a, an entry point. There's certainly some value I could take out there, but no, I'm happy just, uh, uh, I'm happy to keep them. But that's why I find a lot, uh, Jeremy, there's a lot of uh, room. And like I said, we got into the Sonella, but that's why I like those off-brand uh, rookies. There may be some room there to grow for those. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, stick stick to it if you believe in it. Uh, I've had a few beliefs in the past that I thought something was underappreciated or just nobody really knew about it. And that I, you know, picked up some of them. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and I'm like, ah, maybe I was wrong about this. And I don't love them anyway. It was more of a prospect sort of thing. So I'm going to move them. And then a year later, they become the hottest things out there. So, uh, you know, stick to your guns on that would be would be my advice. Let's move on to the next hot topic or hot take. And that is why you think Fanatics 10xing the hobby is actually a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, you kind of see that headline. Everyone's kind of waiting for Fanatics uh, to come in and 10x the hobby. I think that's a little bit of a scary idea. That sounds like a little bit too rapid growth. I mean, in my opinion, I think the hobby's already 10x, Jeremy, in the last two years, and it, it, it's been great. But also look at what's been going on recently. We're seeing cards, you know, month after month. We keep saying, when's the bottom? Where's the bottom? We, I, I don't think we've fully seen the bottom yet. Um, there's tons of hobby negativity before everyone was making hand over fist. You know, every everything was going great. Now every second post is a lot of um, negativity. Everyone's talking about, you know, card trimming. Every second social media accounts just posting stuff for headlines. PWCCs, you know, basically essentially went bankrupt. There's all, you know, a lot of companies have shut down. So we're seeing a lot of, there was some rapid growth and now there's just been uh, a decline. So I think the approach fanatics should take instead of 10 xing the hobby is let's maybe focus on one point one xing or two xing the hobby. Let's grow slowly by 10, like, you know, 10, 20% maybe so we can keep people in it long term, keep participants in it, have more of a slow organic type growth rather than a, you know, a, a moonshot right up. So I'm just a, you know, a little leery about rap, uh, rapid growth because I, th I think we already grew too fast. Slow and steady wins the race. I I, th I think so, and I mean, really focus on, uh, you know, these uh, kids, right? Kids are the future of the hobby. So we need. If I was fanatics, and you know, maybe get uh, some. Maybe they should be funding like a local card, uh, some local card shops to have like a a kids tutorial once a week or once a month, where you know someone comes in and teaches kids about sports cards and about grading sports cards, about trading sports cards, because there's a lot of good business lessons you can learn. Um, uh, using sports cards and kids. So I just think, you know, more of a, a focus on education is probably what's needed in the hobby to truly grow it long-term. Listen, I, I think that, that's some, those are some great thoughts right there. And uh, I, I, th I do think though, that a lot of the, a lot of what you see from some companies when they're talking about growth is really uh, setting the stage for oftentimes they're, they're talking to the public, but they're really talking to investors and they're talking to future potential investors. And if they're, if, if fanatics is going to IPO and it seems like they're going to, it's really, it's really sexy to think that this market is going to 10 X. Hmm. Now, is that what's right for the market? Is that what's right for the, you know, is that what's right for the, uh, the, the, the early investors in fanatics, the current investors, or is, or is that what's right for the retail investors who are about, to come in on the IPO? And is that who they're talking to? And 
I don't know for sure. I don't know. I'm not in their heads to know if they believe 10xing the hobby is going to be good for the hobby or it's just going to be good for their investors or just going to be good for the for the uh, the, the pre-IPO investors. I don't know. But um, but I'll let people I'm sure are going to make up their own minds on that. So but I'm with you. I, I think you make good points there. Uh, slow and steady, I think, is is a safer way to ensure long term health versus and when they say 10xing, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever heard them say we're going to 10x the hobby in how much time are they talking about 10xing mm-hmm. the hobby in six months, 12 months, six years, 12 years. I don't know what they mean by that. And that would be I'd like to know that because that would help me understand what they're what they're what they're saying and maybe help you understand that. No. Oh, if they want to do that over the next 10 years, well, then that's slow and steady for the most part. It's still it's still aggressive, but it's slower and steadier. Maybe you could say uh, let's go to a couple of comments. Brent says, Robbie seems like a collector and very analytical, a cool mix. Bobby Burrell says, sounds like Robbie is moving the Overton window on analyzing what card to collect next. Good on you. I mean, that's always a fun thing to do too. CC says, 10X growth too quick at the high end might be bad, but 10X the market at the grassroots level should be good. Yeah, that's, I like that. I like that comment, Mm -hmm. right? Kind of parse it up between Mm -hmm. where, but the, the thing is with Fanatics, they can't 10x the hobby for any card that came out before 2023. Like, what, what are they really gonna what are they gonna do for that? What they are actually, I shouldn't say that because with all this talk about how they're they just rolled out these new rules for LCSs and some restrictions, I think that's and no, I don't know the ins and outs of that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't I'm not one of these uh YouTube content creators that focuses on all the details of every news release that comes out from every company, but if what they're doing with LCS is going to restrict them. I think the LCS is may, maybe going to have to put in more effort into their single sales from pre fanatics. And that might actually help not much. That might help the, uh, the pre fanatics cards that, that are out there. But I like this comment about kind of parsing it up. Uh, vintage card collector says, even if the hobby doesn't 10 X, I believe it will grow. And some of those will be, some of those people will move to vintage. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Vintage. I, I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, as well. Uh, Scott Anderson, how do you feel about buying top tier cards over 10 or 20k two years ago? And now we're out there for sale for three to four K. Yeah, great. I mean, as I've been saying for the past <coughs> couple of months anyway, and maybe now is the best time to buy sports cards we've had in the last three years. Now is the best time. Now is the you're getting the best prices now that you've ever gotten since 2019. So Three to four K now for a card that sold for 10 to 20 K two years ago. The real question to Scott Anderson to better, to make a better question is what were those cards selling for in 2019? Were they selling for 2K or were they selling for 5K? That's what I would want to know. Either way, I think now is a much better time to buy them than it was two years ago. And uh, Bobby says, Fanatics used the phrase 10X when 10X was happening. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) right. That's a good point, Bobby. Good point. Jacob Thiessen says, definitely the best time to buy for collectors. Buy more now and bring your cost average down. If you want doubles, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a strategy for sure. Dollar cost averaging your way down for sure. And Mark Santucci says, Fanatics isn't allowed to tell the card stores what they can sell pre-2026. Right, exactly. Exactly. And that's where I think there's a lot of opportunity for the, for the LCSs that are not solely focused on this year's products and selling them off their shelf. Um, okay. You ready for the next topic, Robbie? That's fire away. All right. 
And and I got to let people know these topics were ones that Robbie presented to me because these are things he finds interesting. So the next one reads as follows. Why does the hobby value PSA 10 so much more than Beckett 9.5? You then called it the PSA spell, which is a term that I've been using. Um, you go on to talk about left-sided bias, the psychology of numbers, and uh, and some, some other things. But we'll stop right there. Please uh, explain what you mean by all that. Yeah, I mean, um, I see huge value in in Beckett graded cards. And it wasn't too long ago that Beckett, uh, Beckett was the Titan in the, in, in the industry. And I think it still can be, and it doesn't make the sense. Uh, the premium people to me are paying for a PSA 10 over a, over a Beckett nine five. And the reason I say that is arguably people consider centering the most important quality uh, on a sports card. And just, you know, Beckett, Beckett has higher centering standards than PSA to, for, you know, Beckett centering standards are 55, for, uh, 55, 45 and 60, 40 on the back. And TSAs are 60, 40, 60, 40 on the front. So Beckett's back centering standards are higher than PSA's front centering standards. So uh, to me, that's this makes me take a step back and say, OK, well, well that doesn't make it too much sense. So where I kind of like it is and probably people don't, but a Beckett, I like Beckett nine fives that have three nine fives on the card, but I like the, uh, I, I find it's a, a good discount when the nines on centering. Why? Cause I know Beckett has higher centering standards in general overall. And their centering of a nine is probably like a PSA 10 uh, centering standard. So the card itself is really, you know, probably a quad nine five and it'll beat the majority of PSAs. Now I don't think the, the market clearly doesn't, recognize that yet but if you're talking about an example of buying the card uh you know buying the card that are not the grade that you know that's a, a nice little play in there and I, I don't know if the market will, has caught on to that or i don't think they will now and we pay such a premium for beckett black labels right so everyone wants a, the beckett black label we want the or the beckett pristine 10 and at the end of the day, it's the same graders that are grading these Beckett black labels that are grading and grading these BGS 10 cards that are grading the, the 9.5. So we pay a premium for the black labels and the 10. So clearly we trust their, their knowledge, their expertise, their grading capabilities when it comes to these, these big cards. But then we devalue that 9.5 so much when it's the same grader that's grading it just because their, their scale's different. And the reason why is... And it's just a psychology of numbers. Everyone wants a 10. No one wants a 10 is better than a 9.5. So our brain, when you read, when you see a 9.5, it's called uh, in marketing, they use it. It's called left sided number bias and they do it with uh, pricing all the time. So if you got a, you know, bag of chips or a chocolate bar, it's always going to be listed as 299. So your brain reads 299 closer to the two than it does the three dollar mark same thing 399 it's going to read hey that bag of chips is three dollars not four dollars so it always rounds down to the furthest left digit so beckett by giving a nine five on the card your brain automatically thinks hey that's a nine not a ten so by beckett using this 9.5 scale has inherently set them up for this left-sided number bias and people are devaluing devaluing their cards so and i think that's why we're seeing them now scrambling to revamp their grading process all right lots lots there to chew on the one thing that stuck out to me the most was when you said that you know we we value the 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 black label the 10 pristine 
um, and we and you know we kind of put stock into the 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 grade itself being that way and we've seen black labels that are off center black label tens that are off center that you know i think a i think a pristine a black label pristine 10 card should be 50 50 centered maybe maybe like off by a fraction but nothing that you can really see without pulling out your your micrometer if that's such a thing um so so th there there's that i guess um but i like your comments i think it's uh it, it's you know, the, well, the other thing is that we don't necessarily, we being the hobby generally doesn't necessarily attribute value to the black label pristine because we trust the grade of the card. It's because we want the black label pristine. I've never owned one. I never even wanted one. So I say we without being myself, uh, but I, the greater we, the hobby. But um, I think a lot of it is just the brand that, you know, People say the Beckett brand has taken a, a, a hit in the past few years. I think that's that's apparent, but the black label hasn't. It's still highly respected and sought after. And, you know, whether or not it's consistently great, the grading is consistent, whether or not they consistently adhere to their standards for the grading, you know, it. these are things that are just, you know, inherent in human grading and hard to say that they always are. But let's go to some comments that have come in. Lots of good stuff here. Jacob Thiessen says Beckett needs to bring the price down to get people interested in using them again. I think, I think, you know, Jake, I hear what you're saying, but I do think that improving their brand would be better than bringing the price down, but I might be wrong on that. Chris J says, gotta pay the PSA tax. Gotta pay it. If you are volunteering to, yes, you do. You know, on, on sports card therapist, Rob Gerard show a couple of weeks ago with his guest who I don't remember his name. And it was a great episode of financial planner. He basically said, you know, tax uh, evasion is illegal, but tax avoidance is not. So the PSA tax, you can avoid that if you want. Uh, Brent says, I see postings on Twitter saying buying PSA 10s. People would buy a PSA 10 with no card inside. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Uh, the professor says that Dr. Beckett said recently that he only grades with PSA. Will he revert back? I'm I am so surprised to hear that because I've only ever heard him say that he only grades with Beckett. So either he's done a 180 in the last year or the professor heard that wrong. Kieran Crilly is joining us from Northern Ireland, says I'm pro grading. However, PSA premium will erode through AI grading, which will in turn destroy, that's strong, destroy registry issues. Question is not if, but when. I mean, I, I see things similarly. Um, eventually, I I. I I'm not, I wouldn't be as aggressive with the destroy, but definitely erode, I think is, is true. Uh, vintage card collector. I would disagree on BGS 9.5. Many are min gem, and I don't think a lot of them would PSA 10. The market prices show that true gems are high and higher are a good value. And I think, I think, I feel like that's what you were saying, Robbie, but maybe not. Uh, do you want to clarify? Yeah, no, um, that's what I was saying. So just the fact that like I, uh, Beckett quad say I've always liked to target a Beckett quad nine five to me that's uh, you know the the ultimate Beckett but if I was looking for sort of a bargain play and I wanted you know uh, Beckett that had a nine uh, three nine fives I would take the nine on the centering knowing that their centering standards are higher 
So it's pro uh, than TSA, that's all. But yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I would go for uh, quad uh, Beckett quad nine fives and above, absolutely. And I mean, every every card's graded differently. Graders aren't perfect. You're going to see some 9.5s that maybe look like an eight. Who knows? Maybe they're a 10 and PSA 10s that look like a nine, right? So um, it, all, it all depends on the card. But if yeah. we're just talking their grading standards in general, I try to target that nine on centering. All right. CC says, as a collector, BGS 9.5 all day long as compared to higher price PSA 10s. PSA 10 might be better for flippers or newer collectors who grew up in the recent PSA market. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all, it's all a branding thing, really. Uh, the other thing that we're not talking about is the quality of the holder. And, you know, PSA's slab is sleeker. It's the plastic is, it's not the best quality plastic. But I, the, the BGS slab is often cloudy and streaky, and they're, they're the, the consist the quality control on their slabs needs some needs some improvement. And I do know I've talked about it with them, uh, and I know that they're aware of that. So whether they do anything about it will remain to be seen. Uh, Bobby Baseball says, "What if PSA created a black label ten? I wonder how the hobby would react. They wouldn't simply because Beckett's done that. They will never want to be seen as." copying what Beckett is doing in that way. And Carlos says, Young Guns are the most overpriced cards in the entire hobby. That's a big statement, Carlos. I'm going to push back and say probably not the entire hobby, but maybe a top five or something like that. But hey, we could talk about that another time. Um, okay, we're going to pick up on the comments shortly. We got to get through some other topics here. The next one, the next one, Robbie, is um, why off-center cards are actually great. Hot take. Why are off-center cards actually great in your mind? Yeah, so, I mean, don't get me wrong, Jeremy. When I'm looking at a card, I, I love centered cards. But off-centered cards, uh, and when I say that, off-centered cards, I'm usually speak, speaking more to higher-end vintage cards when when they're OC. And, and hear me out why, why I like them. That's the OC, that's when they're off-centered, that's the natural state of the card. It came out of, you know, it was cut like that. It came out of the pack like that. That's how the card was meant to be. You know, assuming, and this is, again, we're talking the perfect OC card. So we have a card that's OC, but it came out of a pack. I know it's not, probably not tampered with. I don't think, uh, what was the guy that was trimming cards? Evan uh, Evan Mathis or whatever his name. I don't I don't think he uh, got his hands on too many OCs, you know. So we like that card to be um, off-centered, sure. But I need sharp edges on it. I need the corners. Uh to be crisp i need the registration to be good and if all that's there and the card's still oc and i know it's authentic because it's oc then that's really your your perfect off-centered card and it really sells at a discount to um to to uh like the the 10 version of that card and uh, for an example like would you rather have a psa not a psa 9 oc 52 tops mantle or would you rather have a PSA 7 mantle? So it's a bit of an extreme comparison. But that's why I think OCs are just an interesting point because they're relatively low population. And again, it's usually going to be a collector that's collecting that OC card. It's someone, it's not going to be a flipper. They're not going to grab an OC card usually to flip. It's usually going to be a collector maybe a long uh, a long-term holder of that card that sees some value that just wants a nice looking card and it's and it's OC so I do see uh, uh, some value there in OC cards and I've got a bunch of them like I've got a tops uh, a tops test or nine that's OC a red heart 
uh, Mickey Mantle, uh, that's OC. So I, I just see some long-term value with OCs, and I think they're really over uh, overlooked. But I have seen them gone up crazy in value. I mean, I turned down, I had a Gretzky 9 Opeachy OC before the card boom. I could have had that uh, for around $2,500. Now I see them listed on eBay. Now they haven't transacted and they've been there for a while, but they're you know just shy of twenty thousand dollars. So I, I don't think they're that uh, that's a they're you know they're valued that high. But they have uh, people are recognizing that with the uh, with the OC. So I just it's sort of a unique space. Yeah, I once ran into a collector at a Cleveland National several years ago. Actually, maybe it was the Atlantic City National, like 2016, 17. Anyway basically was uh, very happy buying up OC cards because you get a great discount on a card that came out of the pack that like a PSA nine OC is a pretty nice card. If you're okay with having off-centered cards in your collection and lots of people are, it's not, it's not like everybody's all about centered cards now, although more now than before, it seems to be what's uh, what's in vogue, but, uh, and they do, they do present nicer. I would rather have a centered seven than a nine than an off-centered nine personally. Um, I think a lot of people would, feel, and I don't know if that's what you were getting at, but I think a lot of people would feel that way as well. Um, okay. Well, I think, I think that that's a good, again, we're not here to debate every topic. We're here to present some ideas. You some of your Robbie's ideas. You're, you're, you're a guest tonight. And uh, it's always nice to hear how other people ap- approach the hobby. And that's what I like to do on these collector type flipper type investor type episodes. We could, we could say, uh, Brent does say, love this take everyone and their mom now just looks at centering and pays a premium. And I think that's true. Uh, goes on to say it's contrarian. Whereas Chris C or Chris J says centered all day and surface. I'm all about surface over centering myself. Vintage card collector hates cards that are way off centered. And Carlos says, why has BGS not made a marketing campaign to promote the fact that true, true gem nine, nine fives would grade a P I would say 10 because they can't, you can't say that they would. They could not say that. That's I'm gonna just that that that's why Carlos that they can't say that. It's uh, you just can't say that. Um, you can, but you're gonna get called out and uh, torched. I would say if you if you did. Uh, Bobby <laughs> says, "Well put, a clean off center versus a well centered card with wear." Yeah, if that is surface wear, I will take the off centered versus the centered surface wear card all day long. That's how uh, that's how I would go. Brent says every flipper selling a PSA three on Twitter says dead centered. Yeah, you see that quite a bit, quite a bit for sure. Uh, okay, what is Nikola Tesla? Haven't seen you for a while. I don't think says what a wonderful stream to listen to in the background as I break a couple of boxes of cards and hoping my silvers and gold parallels will be at least semi star. Good luck to you. Brent says the contrarian view right now would be to go after vintage, really nice cards that are OC. Yeah, so the one thing about that though that I don't. Like you mentioned, Robbie, they're also low pop. I don't population. I don't think matters on an OC a qualifier card. Those are cards that have like flaw. Like they're. I don't think the population helps their cause. I think because it's it's. I, I'm not thinking of a great analogy right now, but I just don't think it does. But I might be wrong. Maybe the world will go that way. Maybe it will. So. I'm not going to, we don't need to get into that, but yeah, yeah respond if you like. Do, do you think it, uh, Jeremy, I know sometimes in the hobby, people will say an OC drops the value two grades. So like, I think that's true in, you know, um, newer cards, but I, I don't necessarily think it's true for like iconic uh, vintage cards. Is that what you usually, is that the rule you used, so to yeah. speak, two grade drop from an OC? 
Yeah, it is. Um, but I don't necessarily, I can't, like when I've used that term and I've been, you know, buying or selling or advising on a card, I, I, I have to think that I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking about cards from like the 80s most of the time. I'm certainly not thinking about 90s, 90s to now. There aren't really cards that off-centered that, that I would need to have that discussion about. So probably more like 60s, 70s, 80s, I would say. I, I think that would apply, maybe even 50s. Uh, and as you go back even further, it's like it, it just becomes a different game, I, I think. So, yeah. Um, oh, Colin Murray does say that PSA doesn't put the OC qualifier anymore, so the pop won't go up. I still don't think that helps them. I don't think that <laughs> helps them, but but maybe maybe it will. Mookie Chilson says Jeremy said it earlier on Hobby Palooza. I love a nifty pinhole card. Yeah, give me a give me a card with a pinhole in the top border that is otherwise a seven that's now a one. I mean, that's my favorite card. I've never, I came so close to buying a 52 tops mantle one time and I wish I pulled the trigger like that. And I didn't. And that's, you didn't buy your Gordy Howe SGC nine. I didn't buy my PSA one uh, Mickey mantle 52 tops with a pinhole that presented like a seven. It was a, a just a, a bla- it was from Chris Sewell's blazer division for sure. Okay. Let's go to the next topic, which we, you called it statistical witchcraft false narratives that can that that where if you change a date by a year or two on a data tool will change the story why don't you uh give us uh kind of round out what you mean and give us yeah so uh statistical witchcraft so what i was getting at by that was you can manipulate numbers to tell any story you want to tell or spin any any narrative and that's done all the time in the far pharmaceutical ind- industry on a daily basis when they'll try and present, uh, you know, a drug that it's, is more efficacious and drug A is more efficacious than drug B because this. And when you start looking at the data behind it, you find out that, you, you know, it's just the way they're presenting the data. And I, I'll give I have an example after, but some of the major uh, sites out there that uh, you'll be watching they'll show card appreciation values right so you can uh, you know card ladder index whatever um you'll see appreciation and then over the last couple months you'll start seeing that they're posting the this card sold from this date and they're actually using dates that are pre-covid now pre-covid boom so pulling data from 2018-19 so you're they're they're factoring in that pre-covid pricing which, you know, the card was low and then shot up. But that card, since, say, the uh, the COVID era, you know, 2021, 20, uh, 2022, 20, that card's actually gone down. But since it's gone, you know, up so much during pre-COVID, uh, they're still showing some some great returns. So it just makes it look like, wow, every card, every card's up, every card's up, every card's up. But you just got to start paying attention to what at what time frame are they speaking to? So, for example, the one here that I've written down is um, uh, I wrote you guys an example. So a Wayne Gretzky PSA 6 OPG uh, peak market value was around 8K average, I think, was about 6K. But there was some sales for 8K. So you could now say uh, now a Gretzky rookie PSA 6 is around 25, 2800. So depending on the narrative, you can spin it either two ways. You can say. Wayne Gretzky's cards are now down over 60%. So you make it sound like the market's crashing, everything's going, you know, they're down 60%, sell your Gretzky's. Or you spin it a different way and say, over the last five years, Wayne Gretzky's PSA6 has 3X. Wow, man, 
my Gretzky cards just three X over the, the last couple of years. So it's just interesting by changing a couple of dates and which time frame you're talking about can totally affect returns on your card. So I just want people to be aware of that concept that not everything is going up and pay attention to the time frame uh, and the dates and, you know, some trusted resources, make sure you're actually making sure the card did transact. Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. And this is something that I've been, and not just me, I'm sure a lot of people, I don't know, when I say I've been, I don't mean it's only me, just in general, but uh, a lot of people are talking, have, have said, and I know I've talked about it a lot on, on my show, is that there's a lot of doom and gloom in the hobby. There has been a lot of doom and gloom for the last couple of years uh, since the peak. And it really comes back to even what Leighton said earlier. It depends where you came in. What what's your where did you buy? Did you buy at the peak? If so, you're hurting financially. You've got a either you've hurt, you've been hurt financially or you've got a ton of unrealized losses and you are depressed about the hobby. But if you didn't come in if you did if you came in before uh, you know, Q3 2020, your cards are up 3x like you just said. They're not down 60%. You're you're still tripled your money sort of thing take the earlier i mentioned my tops wayne gretzky card that i bought because i saw the opici go from five grand to 40 grand i'm like well now the top is at five grand i better buy one of those before it gets to 40 the pop wasn't that much different and i saw potential for the tops so i bought one five thousand dollars that card went up to like 80 grand <laughs> in 2021 five to 80 16x my money pretty good right well now I could say, well, now I've lost half my money. The card is worth 80. Now it's worth 40. I'm down 50%. I don't look at it like that. I was never going to sell it at that time anyway. So I'm still up eight times my money. So like you said, it's how do you frame it? What is What are the parameters on the horizon? You're like, how far? As I zoom out a little bit, right? Take those charts you're looking at and go from the one-year or two-year chart Go to the five and the 10 year chart. Let's really see how, how well things are doing. So you're right. You make a good point. A couple of comments that have come in right now. Bobby says selective data presentation differ between a buyer and a seller. Yeah, we all have biases. They're in, we humans are have inherent biases that are going to try and position our side of the bargaining, ta bargaining table uh, to our advantage. I and mean, that's just, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if, but that's why you need to be educated. You need to understand the whole thing. Like you said, have trusted resources, have some tools at your fingertips. So um, interesting comment, and I'm, I'm glad you you brought it up. The next thing that you brought up was, are sales real? Like, who's paying these amounts? Are they actually transacting? We need more transparency. What would you like to say about that? Yeah, so I just, um, what I want to speak to that is I just really question, Jeremy, some of the authenticity of some of these ultra high-end card sales that we're seeing like are they actually transacting and and who's paying for them like when i see record prices of i don't know joe let's pick on anyone but joe, joe burrow justin herbert national treasures um you know rpa that's apparently a, a one of one but it's not a one of one because there's 50 different ones so it's actually probably a, a none of one but that sells for you know a hundred thousand dollars or fifty or $50,000, whatever the price may be. I just don't know if there's an end buyer there or there's an end collector, or is it just a few people, maybe more than a few people in the hobby 
buying and selling their own cards to basically create a, you know, now, well, if this national treasures Joe Burrow is worth this much, this means, you know, well, then, you know, uh, a Tua has to be worth this much. So are they just sort of buying and flipping their own cards, trying to create a false narrative to show that that's what these cards are, are these cards actually transacting? And I, I don't think so. And the reason is, I mean, who could possibly think that putting, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in a national treasures borough or Herbert rookie is a possibly a sound investment when you have a Joe Montana that has one iconic rookie card that is valued at what's a PSA 10 goal for maybe 60 around 60 K. So how could a, if a Montana rookie PSA 10 is 60 K who could possibly think buying Joe Burrows national treasures, RPAs, Herberts, whatever you want to call them for, you know, anything even close to that amount um, is a sound investment. No one is. There's no way that they're going to be holding <laughs> these cards long term. So I like a little bit more transparency. And what I mean by that is, okay, I know Patrick Bet David bought the Gretzky for 1.29 million and sold it to someone for four. I get it. Um, uh, who else is who? Uh, Jeff Wilson, right? He said he's bought a, I know he said at one point he bought a Griffey 1010 auto for around 10 grand. Okay. He's a holder of that, uh, of that card. And then he, he owns that out of Curry RPA out of 25 that he sold a bunch of Gaudis and Bowman's for, which I, I don't think was a great idea, but Hey, um, so I just like to know, it's nice to know who owns sometimes these high-end cards. So there's some transparency, uh, cage from Luca Tigers and bronze, you know, he talks about him paying, uh, buying a scoring Kings. I forgot what he paid for it, but I think he paid maybe 15, 18,000 for it at the time. He also bought a, uh, a rare Peyton Manning BVG, uh, I think a BVG 10 uh, for a, a large sum of money. So it's just kind of nice putting sometimes a face. I, you, know, you know, I don't need to know the price, but I just want a, a face of who's actually buying these cards and are they actually transacting or are they just circling with a few hands and we're playing a merry-go-round of cards here? Or are they fake sales that people are just doing to pump up value? Like, I'll yeah. talk about one I remember. This was at the 2021 National. So the first one after the pandemic, right? 2021. Yeah. And uh, there was this big, uh, like a big event at one of the booths because these guys bought the Patrick Mahomes shield one of one for, I think it was $4.2 million. And listen, I was, I was very excited. I I, I was like, Oh, that that's amazing. What, what a, and, but as you think about it, like, if it was me, if I was the buyer, I would be embarrassed that I just spent $4.2 million on a Patrick Mahomes shield card. Personally, even back then, I'd be embarrassed. There's no way I would want anyone to know. I would keep that secret forever <laughs> because I would think I wouldn't want anyone to know what a, I don't want to, like, these guys could be watching right now. So I don't want to say, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I would not have been making a big deal about it unless I had some sort of strategy in marketing that card and, do, you know, bigger thoughts about maybe it's going to help blow up the whole hobby and the rest of my inventory. And maybe that did, maybe that was one of the thing, one of the card transactions that happened when the car, when the hobby was 10 Xing and booming mm -hmm. uh, in 2021. But then I, you also ask yourself like, yeah, you know, you'll see people have shown checks. I can, I can write out a check or I can write you a check right now for a million bucks. Robbie doesn't mean I'm going to give it to you. Doesn't mean uh, I can give it to you. Doesn't mean that you're not going to give it back to me. Doesn't mean that I've only got 10 bucks in the account. You can't cash it anyway. Like, so I don't know. You have to, you have to be 
skeptical on some of these things at times and uh, kind of ask yourself, what do, what do they have to gain by doing this? Mm -hmm. And also, would anybody in the right mind actually spend $4.2 million on a prospect card like that? Like, so, But I guess the answer is yes, people do. We've seen, we saw that Jason Dominguez card sell last year for over half a million dollars. The guy had never played a game before. And you're thinking to yourself, like, some people just have money to burn. Or they just like the headlines or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, but you say we need more transparency, this, but we this isn't the regulated market. So I don't know that we're ever going to get it, you know, fully. And that's just mm -hmm. unfortunate. But buyer beware, tread carefully, do your research and, and buy cards at prices that you are comfortable with. And uh, just be careful, uh, for, you know, watch the hype around things. Decoy Card said, if you come into the hobby during the COVID boom, or if you came in during the COVID boom, it's like becoming a fan of a sports team as they're winning back-to-back -back championships. If the team makes the second round, they freak out. Yeah, and, and you're, yeah, you're mad. Simon says, my glass is always half full. Thumbs up. I appreciate that, Simon, but my glass is only, like, it's not always half full. I appreciate I appreciate that. I do have a positive, I have a positive outlook on the hobby. I, I love the hobby. I always have. Um, but he put this comment up when I was saying about my my uh, Gretzky. Like, if you came in, you got you got to zoom out and look back prior to the pandemic. I have a glass that my glass was manufactured before the pandemic, so my glass is half full. Like, I I'm not hurt by the market crashing. So I you know my my audience has to keep that in mind too. That's partially why. If you are in my audience and you came in in 2021, you might find it hard to believe that I love this hobby so much. But you have to then ask the question, why does he like it so much? And why is his glass always half full? Okay. Any comments on any of that so far, Rob, before I go on to the next comment? No, that, that's, that's right. And again, it's just, a, it's just my take on it. It just, it just seems a little a suspect to me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of people, I mean, clearly with a lot of money, but I think there could be better, better ways to deploy that money. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, fair, for sure. Uh, Brent says, Card Ladder will say record sale for a 9.5 of a Giannis if it hadn't sold since 2019, but yet a BGS 9 might have sold for more six months before. And that's true. I see this all. I get their daily email. You get their top three um, record-breaking sales. and But that's not wrong. What they are, because their, their system is really built by the grade, not the card itself. So, if the record was for a 9.5, if a 9.5 broke a record, uh, but a 9 might have sold for more six months ago, what Brent is saying is that the 9 may have sold for more six months ago and the market might have come is coming down, yet the 9.5 broke a record. Um, I think it's I think the, the takeaway here is that if you are making purchasing decisions based on the card ladder daily email that comes out or their, their Instagram account with these record-breaking sales, don't like like get the rest of the information. Their 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 service, their their app will you can go in and then you can switch between the different grades and look at this the sales history and get a more rounded picture. It's like don't just rely on two data points or three data points. Get yourself as many data points as you can to make a better, more well-rounded decision. And Bobby Burrell says, way to take on this question, Robbie, on the transparency of sales and that sort of thing. Um, okay, let's go to the next topic we have. See, Robbie, I told you this would go by super fast. We're down to 13 minutes left, okay? And we're I told you it'd go by fast. 
and we wouldn't get to everything, but that's okay. Um, when will card prices rise again? That's something that you were kind of asking the question. And, and, and I think as we both know, we don't know when they're going to rise again, but we can look for signs or, or events like catalyst type events that could move it. So please, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, with that one, Jeremy, I don't know what the next big catalyst is going to be. That's going to make the market move. I mean, everyone's talking about fanatics, but what are they really going to, what are they really going to do? Are they just going to turn on the printing press, start printing a ton of cards, overprint cards, and people are going to get into that. And then the whole market's going to go up. Uh, I don't know. Is there going to be, you know, everyone was talking about the card market's going to boom because institutional investors are coming in. I, I don't know where these institutional investors are right now or, 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 or are they coming? It's just right now in cards, I just be really, just really cautious in that it's it's hard to make a, a return right now on cards because the easiest way before in the past always uh, as Leighton and, and you said has been the entry point. Well, the entry point is pretty high and maybe if we get to pre-pandemic levels of prices, that's where we can get that entry point. Um, during COVID, any card was going up. It's like throwing a card at a, a dart at a dartboard. You pick any card next month, boom, it's going up. Or, you know, back in the good old days, you know, you player performance. A player goes on a deep uh, playoff run, has a crazy game, boom, their card, their cards spike. Then there was everyone, you know, buy, buy in the off season and sell into the season. There was always that play. Now, everything that I just mentioned there has really no effect on card player performance, uh, nothing. Your only real way now is maybe prospecting, I guess, which I, I do a little bit of, but not too much. And I get it. It's fun. We all want to be uh, right on a prospect. But um, prospecting can get a little bit risky, especially when you start uh, doing some of these Bowman, uh, these high-end uh, Bowman cards. I just think overall the card market ran like any other market runs hot and it's pulled back and it's coming down and it may be a little, it may be a few years before we uh, eventually see, uh, you know, some total, st a total steady state, but uh, I, I don't really have the answer to that. I, I, no, I wouldn't expect you to, but I, it's, it's still nice. It, it's fun. And it's part of the, you know, the, the hobby is, is the past, the present and the future for a lot of us. So it's still fun to talk about and to even kind of hash out what some signs might be that the hobby will grow and will, you know, fanatics is a marketing machine. Like a lot of people are hating on fanatics, especially after this, this recent communication went out to all the card shops about how they're going to control the sale of product and try and, and have some control over card shop business. And what I've heard, I've only heard bits and pieces. And again, I don't really care enough about it because my thought is if I'm an LCS owner and I'm going to, and I'm selling fanatics product, I have to adapt. Number one, I can, I can, I can bitch and complain about it all I want, but I'd rather be productive and adaptive and pivot if I have to, and, and just make it work for me and, and become creative and find ways. And again, also, consider that there's a whole 120 years of cards from before fanatics um, that they don't have any control over. I don't think so. Um, you know, but they are a marketing machine and they are going to bring more collectors into the hobby. I believe that like as, as, as Michael Rubin or Mike Mahan said in their investor conference or some clip I saw recently is that, you know, they believe 
that most sports fan, any sports fan that will buy a hat or a jersey or a pennant or a ball or a pocket at a sporting event is a potential collector. And they're probably the best entity out there to convert those sports fans into collectors. So if they can do that, if they don't, even if they, like you said, if they 50% increase the hobby, that's a ton of more people in our hobby. We don't have to 10 X. Like, I don't think we have to for, for IP for fanatics, IPO purposes, maybe they do need to 10 X to get their, to get their valuation. But for you and me, the hobbyist 50% is great for the future of our collections too. So what, so the fanatics is an indicator that the hobby will grow. I think despite the, the, you know, the issues that we see on people having on social media about how they're destroying the LCS. Well, let's see what happens. Give it a couple of years and see if they really do or don't. Um, okay. We are, we wanted to do a card battle. We basically wanted oh, yeah. to show some cards that, that we both have copies of and just a bit of that. Before we do that, I'm going to go to just a couple comments that I have uh, selected here. Simon says the easiest way to spot a fake sale is if it gets relisted. An auction house doesn't get paid on unpaid sales. And many of these cards don't get relisted, which I agree is crazy. Uh, I think I'm following that. Uh, and then there was a follow-up somewhere, which I can't find now. Um, I'm going to read this one again out loud. The easiest way to spot a fake sale is if it gets relisted. So yeah, that's also like, I do know consignment sellers who, if they're because they want to pay their consigners out as fast as possible. So if their buyers don't pay with say, within four or five, six, seven days, they cancel the listing and relist it. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a fake sale. It just means that it didn't get paid on according to terms and it's relisted. So beware of that, that that's happening legitimately. But he goes on to say an auction house doesn't get paid on unpaid sales and many of these cards don't get relisted. So I don't understand. I don't, sorry, Simon, I'm not understanding what you're trying to say there, what you're insinuating. But uh, if you want to clarify, please do. Uh, Nikola Tesla says, grading is so subjective. I've been telling those new to the hobby, buy the card, not the grade. It's becoming cliche, but I think it's a worthy thing to be telling people. I like that for sure. Uh, Nicholas says, baseball prospecting is so difficult and time-consuming. And you alluded to that earlier, Robbie. Not for me. You will not see me prospecting on baseball or any other sport. The odd time I'll pick a player, pick up a couple cards, but I'm not putting thousands of dollars into it. Maybe a few hundred at best just to, have a card of a player that I think is going to be good so I can enjoy their uh, coming out, their turning into stars. I don't need it to mean I, I make money. I'm happy also knowing that I got it right. I picked the right mm-hmm. player sometimes. That's kind of nice too. Colin Murray says, stick to raw vintage cards. The prices are not coming down. Unlikely that they will. Some might, but not all for sure. Some some certainly won't. And more and more comments coming through here. Um Carlos says fanatics will turn LCS stores into Apple stores, which is a good thing. The LCS stores that do not want to follow the rules will focus on selling single cards, which is fantastic for the hobby. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Again, I go into card shops. I don't really look at the wax on the walls. I'm looking at the singles. I'm going, my first question when I go to my guy here, Eastridge Hobbies is, Mike, any new, buy any new collections, any new singles in the sh- in the showcases? They'll say, yeah, and I'm like, oh, let's get there. I don't look. I don't, I, got, I glance up at the wax to see what new products are out and what the and, and to see these prices, which are like, oh my god, still. Well, that's what I look at. Tip of the mitt. Better late than never. Good to see you. Thank you for dropping by. Bobby Burrell says these prices 
The prices had to come down so Fanatics can increase new collectors. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Simon says a bunch of these cards still selling crazy prices aren't being relisted, which suggests people are actually spending five or six figures on these Joe Burrow RPAs and those types of cards. Yeah, there's always going to be people that want the hottest thing today. They don't care. They just, that's always going to happen. Always, always going to happen. And he says, look, when someone doesn't pay on eBay, it just gets, I just let it go and release it. Not to mention eBay has had a feature where you could offer the second, yeah, the second chance offer. Okay, Robbie, we're going to, we're going to go straight to uh, showing some cards. So what we, we, we know what we were going to show. I pulled out some cards. You pulled out some cards. Let's, uh, and I, I always get the feedback that from the audience that they want to see more cards. So let's show off some cards. Should we, uh, how do you want to go? How do you want to do this? You, your show, Jeremy. I'm, I'll follow the lead, man. You show me what you got. Show me what you got here. Well, I, I pulled out. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I got eleven cards out. I already showed the Vezina earlier on, early in the show. All right, my, so you got my excellent condition Vezina and a PSA five holder because you own the SGC nine, which is the highest graded copy that exists. And there's the Beckett magazine with your card from before yeah. you owned it. That's the card before I owned it from uh, April uh, 2007. So that's the exact card that we owned uh, safely tucked away in a, in a Canadian uh, vault, not to resurface for unless it goes to the Hockey Hall of Fame. So there it is. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, you got the SGC nine. Mine's a PSA five. I'm, I'm, I'm as happy. I, I'm as happy as I can be with this as I would be with that one. I say that genuinely like, yeah, pop, I got also, because I've owned this for so long, it's like I'm attached to this copy. Yeah. You know, I have a, uh, I have, a, I have a beat up one that I treasure too. So uh, I love that card. Right. And if anyone hasn't noticed, you can now see our Instagram handles right under our names in our in our screens there. So if you're not following Robbie on Instagram, if you'd like to, at bot ninth cards and myself uh, at jaylee underscore sports cards live. All right, next one. Let's. We talked a lot about Honus Wagner. Uh, earlier on the show, did you pull out a Wagner card to show? I do, I do, Jeremy. I got one here. Let's see. So it. What, I, what I have here is the 1910 American Caramel Wagner. I don't know if you guys could see that. So do I. So I love this card, Jeremy, just because it's you know that similar T206 uh, image to me, and then I also have a thing for I like blue background cards, so that's why I like the I like the mantles, I like the Gretzky, the Trout Walmart blue, and this one happens to be blue, so um, that's why I really uh, I really like it. This one here is uh, an SGC3. It's got some rounded corners. Um, it's kind of weird, too. It looks like they're wearing lipstick on them, eh, Jeremy, on the cards or something? Well, let, let's put them up beside each other, kind of, because, I, I, yeah, it does kind of look like he's wearing some lipstick it is hard to see cards on 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 this uh in this studio but um but yeah you've got your three when did you pick it up this one we picked up i believe in i want to say this one here would be 20 probably 2019 jeremy 2020 i, I picked, picked i picked up. up i bought this and i think 2013 this came from uh Robert Edward auctions back uh, way back then about 10 years ago, I bought this card and I bought oh, it because I, I don't think I'll ever own a T206 Wagner. And I like the blue background. I like this image of him kind of better than I do the T206. And it's just much more affordable, like much more affordable. So there that's we go. Not, Another, what story, Jeremy, could, what grade is yours? It's a, it's a PSA two. It's a very nice two. Yeah, I feel it's, like, I, it's got some staining in the bottom left corner here that, 
not a ton. Like really, my my whole my okay. finger right now is covering all of it. So it's not a, a huge. It's not like the whole lower left quadrant. It's just that little bit. But that's it. The back off centered. You know, not obviously. It's got some wear. Got got some issues there. But you know, there's all the. That's it. It's all a great. Print. That's a great looking too. That's all a, the print is there. Yeah, really nice card. All right, next up, um, we were we were gonna. Do you have your C fifty six series with you? I said we we're yeah we we're gonna pull up. Uh, yeah, I got uh, I got the uh, the big guys out of that set. Not the whole set. I do have the whole set, but I got the big guys. So okay, so I we, yeah, because I told you we we're, we were gonna pull out cards number eight, twelve, fifteen, and thirty six. Yes. And that so let's uh now cards number eight and twelve are both Art Ross and Art Ross it's like Vezina and a pioneer of the sport and every year in the NHL the player who scores the most points in the league gets the Art Ross trophy and Art Ross actually has two cards in the very first set of hockey cards ever the Imperial Tobacco C fifty six series two cards cards number eight and card number twelve and these are my eights and my eight and twelve my my number eight is a PSA four and my number 12 is a 3.5. Same player. Let's see yours. Beautiful. So these ones here are uh, Beckett graded Jeremy. So they are one point. Uh, if you could see them 1.5s. Yep. So these are both 1.5s. And the reason I, I really like these is I think the, I mean, the front's really, you know, the registration, the color, it, it's awesome. But the problem with my whole set with these is, the backs, because I guess these were often put in scrapbooks. So the backs have this little bit of wear there. So you can see that little dot right right there. And then on Paper some, rock. it gets worse. Like this one here, my other Art Ross, it, it, it gets worse. So it's like it's peeled out of that scrapbook. So, I mean, that brings down the value. But, I mean, just looking at the card head on front ways, um, you know, it looks obviously a lot nicer than a, a 1.5. So the backs of mine are all there, but you can see, especially on uh, this one, it's really dark at the top. It's almost like these cards were exposed or a, a smoker okay. that, but, but overall, like, listen, I don't need my, my cards from 1910 to look like they were just packed pulled. I want them to show their age. And these ones do that beautifully. So these are the two art Ross, two, two rookie cards in the same set. For Art Ross, and then you got card number fifteen, Cyclone Taylor. So this is my copy, which is a nice high high grade for the era, a PSA five. Um, let's see yours. I'm coming in at a one point five here again, Jeremy, with that same set. My whole set's probably a one five. I mean, again, the front looks good, and then I'm missing uh, on the back here a Cyclone Taylor that you can see that where that that's where that's where it loses it. Yeah, but the, again, it's actually really nice. It's not darkened like uh, like the two are like the especially like the one art Ross. And then finally, card number thirty six, another favorite from the set, the Nuzi Lalonde. And I, I, I listen. I love this card, and I'll show. Mine is a PSA two, but look at the front. Now the back is another story, but look at the front of this card, like the centering, the nice even rounded corners, the color. Like no creases. Let's see the front of yours. Yeah, yours look, almost looks like a different blah, blue to mine. So I got a one, uh, Jeremy, again here. So I have a, a one here. And then there must be something because the back on this one, Jeremy, is is pretty beat up. It's like a blackish. And I guess maybe these have to 
uh, it probably has to do with it being like the last card of the set and maybe the way it was stored. But the the back is pretty is pretty dark on mine here. So it's probably the worst. The worst back I have is actually in my favorite card here. So that's it. Yeah. Well, look at the back on mine. It's like it's 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 paper loss. When uh, like when did of... you when did you end up picking yours up, Jeremy? How uh... I I bought my so I actually bought a complete set of of nineteen ten C fifty six in two thousand and six. I think I bought the set, and okay. it was it only had I think only. Only two or three of the cards were actually graded okay. and that I got the rest. Of, no, maybe it was more. I'd have to look. I don't remember exactly, but um, yeah, no, these I got graded because they're in the, the one six nine nine is when I got them graded. And, uh, and over time I've upgraded a few here and there. So it's on the set registry. I think it's number eight or nine on the set registry. So awesome. maybe it's 11. Now my, the, the grade point average, I believe is like a four, just over like 4.03 or something like that. I haven't checked yeah. my set registry in a couple of years now, probably. So I'm not even sure. <clears throat> maybe not that long, maybe about a year, but, but uh, yeah, I've had them for a long time and um, love them. I mean, they're, they're just, listen, we, we, I made a, I had a big mistake here. Gen Z says, have you talked about the 54 red heart mantle yet? It's on the thumbnail for this episode. We haven't even talked about it yet. We're five minutes right now, actually, Oh, my bad. We are five minutes into overtime on the episode. So we're going to have to go a little bit longer here. Let's talk about the Red Heart Mantle, but let's finish off these, these cards. We have a few more to show. Did you sure. pull out a Babe Ruth card? Yeah, I got my, uh, this, I got my one, uh, the one Gaudi I own. I got this. Yeah, I brought her. So this is mine here. I'm going to trick you for a second, Jeremy. So this is the Babe Ruth Gaudi. Now it's authentic. Now, you said you love cards with pinholes. This one here, buddy, has got a little bit more of a... Oh, it's got a hole punch. <laughs> it's got a hole punch in it. So maybe they hung it on a Christmas tree or something. But uh, hey, at the end of the day, it's still uh, it's still a Gaudi uh, Ruth. Uh, and it's, you know, it's well-centered. The, the, the red on it's good. So I've always wanted a Gaudi. Well, keep it up. Here's my here's my number 53, the yellow, the yellow background version of the card. No pinhole, no hole punch, <laughs> thankfully. A card I've owned for a, a very long time now. About I think I've had this card. Oh boy, I think I've had this card. Well, no, about over 10, 10 years at least. I've had this card, and um, I, I absolutely love it. It's it's so nice, so nice. And you know, again, it you, on the buy a PSA one is what I'd have. What what you what you would pay for a PSA one now is pretty much what I paid for this. SGC five. Yeah. 10 years so that, ago. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. I mean, for this one here, I paid, I believe just under, uh, and I bought it about maybe two, like, uh, two, three years ago, uh, about two years ago, maybe. And I believe I paid like, uh, 40, maybe 4,600 for this year. And I think they've stayed about the same. Yeah. Yeah. I paid more for than that for this, but a lot less than no. Yeah. Well, now a PSA one would probably sell for double or more of than what you had than what yours is worth with the hole in it. So yeah, that makes sense. And it's a different card. This is the yellow version, which I think outsells the red version. But great cards, and uh, it's nice that we. It's just cool to be able to show off some of these nice cards and enjoy them ourselves here together. Okay, uh, the next one. Do you have a Bobby Orr rookie with you? Oh yeah, I got a nice one here. I got a nice one, Jeremy. I got yeah, the uh, 
Let's see it. Look at this guy. So this is the this is the tops test version or so you know they say limited i don't know 100 and some maybe 100 and some copies only in california and you can tell that it has that white little strip and the wood grain border is a little uh lighter than your uh traditional ore and the back is just uh english only as it looks like yours is the other a normal ore that's yeah. uh yeah yeah the tops test is it's a, it's a great card it's one of those it's kind of an oddball card because you know it, it i don't believe it was you know distributed the way most sets were back in the day and uh but it, it's i mean it's a card i've been aware of since i was a kid it was it was the thing it was you know i didn't even know that it actually existed i'd never seen one until you know the days of the internet came around and uh but what, what a cool card and um really neat my yeah. copy is the psa five and a half it was you know, I recently sold my PSA 8 Bobby Orr rookie because I actually like my five and a half better. So I'm like, oh, all right, well, then I'll just uh, pocket the difference and keep keep the card and still have the card represented in my, in my collection. I need a Bobby Orr rookie card in my collection. And I and I managed to make that happen. And this is just a I mean, if I just to show it up a bit closer, I mean, like, look at that. <laughs> it's just so nice for a five and a half. Uh, absolutely. And this one I got a great deal on, Jeremy, if you look at it. I got it on an auction house, but they missed the, they mislabeled it. So it just says top. It just says Bobby Orr. It doesn't uh, advertise that it's a tops test. So I think that's why I got such a, a great deal out of it. But it's clearly a, a USA test, but yeah, they labeled it wrong. Now, do you have the Stanley cup hologram handy? I don't, but I have, I, I got a beat up version of that, but I got a, a little treat for you, Jeremy. That's uh, a different version. Maybe if, if some people are getting bored of, uh, Hockey. So this is a pretty rare one. This is the Vince Lombardi one. So sort of the uh, the football uh, version of it. So that's the Vince Lombardi hologram. But the cool thing about uh, this one, Jeremy, it's on the back. It's the owner's edition. So uh, right there on the red, you can see it says owner's edition. Yeah. So yeah. that was only given to uh, apparently players or someone affiliated uh, with the team. So I don't know the pop count or anything on it, but I think it's just, you know, uh, it's cool that each sport sort of has their own uh, hologram uh, version. But yeah, yeah that's that was numbered uh, out of 10,000, I believe, back in the day when Pro Set Football came out. And then the Stanley Cup hologram that I'm showing was numbered out of uh, 5,000. And it's, you know, as you said, the first uh, serial numbered card. And this is a low number. This is 43 of 5,000. I kind of like the nice low number. That's, of that's, the card a, that's a beast, Jeremy. What grade is that? That's an eight. There's only, that, I think, I think there's, is that the highest? No, there's one 8.5. I know who owns it. I've brought him offers. He's like, you could offer me a million. I'm not selling. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. He's he's not selling his 8.5. Okay. And I think there's three eights now, three or four eights total. I, I don't remember the exact number. So it's it's very rare in this, in this, in this high grade. Yeah, I think that was the only uh the only valuable card of that. Not what it was it, 9091 Pro Set is uh that's is, the card. Is that the one right there? That's a monster grade in that card. And then I, I also pulled out my autographed uh, Gretzky rookie just because you were, we were going to talk about them. And this is this, I believe, was signed in his rookie year, which I think is really cool because I know who got it autographed and the provenance is all there. It was the cameraman for Hockey Night in Canada. His name was Robert Thomas. And um, anyway, it's a whole story, but... It's, you know, the autograph, it doesn't, you know, you're like, oh, that doesn't look like his autograph. Well, that was his autograph back then. And uh, the card itself is pretty nice, too. I don't know what it would grade. I, I had this slab myself and authenticated, and I kind of 
wish now that I would have got the card graded too, because it's actually a nice grade on the, it, the cards in nice condition. So. Yeah. I love your, that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I need to add one of those uh, to the collection, Jeremy. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to sell something. <laughs> Let's talk now about the Mickey Mantle card, the red heart that shows up on the thumbnail for this episode, because I put it on the thumbnail. we got to talk about it. Yeah. And it falls into your topic all about, um, oddball type of cards and that so listen we're gonna go for five more minutes here talk about your love for oddball cards and especially the red heart mantle please yeah so i just find the the, the oddball cards jeremy they're they're a fun uh, they're a fun hunt and they're a fun read so i'll go on you know any uh blowout uh, card forms or anything and just start looking at and i'll literally uh search you know pre-rookie cards or rare rarest uh rarest unknown cards of certain players, that type of searches and see what comes up. And I just find, yeah, they're, they're, they're usually a low, um, usually a fairly low entry point on them. You don't see a ton of them surface. They each sort of have their, uh, their unique story to them. We talked about the Sinella and the Astra, but I mean, I could uh, go on about, uh, you know, call them the land of misfit cards, whatever you want to call them. Um, I could go on forever about them. I mean, there's, there's so many, I mean, we got in hockey, there's the Royal, uh, the Royal desserts, um, how the Valdere, we've got plants, Bellavos, there's the box bottom Lemieux that a, it's a true Lemieux rookie card. Yeah. There, that's a, there, that's a monster. No one, no one really, uh, no one really know, uh, flexes that card, but I mean, that's a, that's a grail right there. I love that. I, I love, love card. this card. To me, it's the unknown Lemieux rookie. Yeah, it, it, it's it's hand cut. Says it right there, hand cut. But the only way to get this was to hand cut it. To hand, the yeah. And the beautiful thing about box bottoms, Robbie and everybody, is that these were meant to sit on top of something like a counter or another box below it. So they were often scratched and they had surface issues. So to find a and this is the best box bottom in hockey is the Lemieux. So to get one of these with a nice surface. Unbelievable! I, I I cherish this particular card. I love it. I love. Yeah, it. that's. Uh, I don't think there's too many of those uh, around that I've seen uh, that look like. What grade is that, Jeremy? It's a it's a PSA nine. I'm actually going to check the pop on it right now. It, it might be the yeah. highest grade. Yeah, that's uh, there's, there's, a low there's, pop. there's definitely not too many um, of, uh, of those circulating for sure. The other one that's cool when you um, if you like Lemieux, Jeremy. Um, so everyone knows his 85 Opeachy. He's got his Opeachy and tops. But the other one that's a nice little play too is the scoring leaders uh, Lemieux, which is in you know the same uh, the same era, it's, same era. It's roughly uh, you know I think you can pick them up for four or five hundred bucks in a high grade, and um, it's you know a Lemieux's rookie year too. So it's just the scoring leaders uh, rookie Lemieux. I like that. Yep. But yeah, I mean I could go on for uh, <laughs> for a long time on oddball cards. Gretzky uh, Belleville Bulls is another cool one, but People may be getting tired of uh, hockey. Heart. So in football, you know, you have your – there's the instant replay Marino rookie that's pretty cool. Dan Marino's got a police rookie card. There's some nice Steve Young uh, uh, early rookie cards too. Uh, baseball, you know, you got your Wheaties, Mantles, your Sanellas. I also like the Churchman, uh, Churchman Babe Ruth. Uh, Griffey's, you got your – what is it, the Bernardinos. They got the uh, the blue one and the platinum. The platinum's more rare. Um, you know, I also love – yeah, and uh, someone mentioned in the chat so we could uh, wrap up and speak to it, the, uh, the Red Heart Mantle. So I think it was uh, a 1954 issue. Came uh, – was actually – it's weird. I don't know, distributed in dog food, so I don't really know what, what that means. But I just – the image on of um, of them is pretty iconic on the card. I think it's just a, a gorgeous looking card, the pose. And again, that blue background reminds me 
of that 52 tops mantle uh, blue background. So there's just some parallels there. So um, I have that card in an OC version sticking true to my uh, uh, collecting mm-hmm. ability. So I didn't, I didn't pay much for it, but you don't see them circulate uh, too often. So um, I think the red hearts, uh, you know, a really early iconic looking mantle card. Nice. Well, Awesome, man. All right. Well, we are uh, 15 minutes into overtime, so we're going to wrap up. And uh, thank you for joining, Robbie. Uh, Chat, as always, thank you for your comments, for your uh, viewership, for being here. Appreciate that. Get your final comments in. Well, I'll read as many as I can. Jake Dahl says, yes, the Red Hearts were issued in bags of dog food in 1954. I love that. I think that's just so cool. Like, what a what because so many people need bought dog food that didn't care about baseball cards so how many of those actually survived you know like pretty darn pretty darn cool mark santucci says five stars thank you very much nicola tesla says i seriously have like 100 plus oddball sets sitting in a couple of binders in the corners most are sheriffs yeah heard about heard of those not can't can't think what they look like but i've heard of those GMOs, yeah, I heard a million dollars is not much nowadays. It's still it's a lot of money. Let's face it. Let's face it. Joe Bro says breaking out the heavy artillery. Mark Santucci says I'm not getting bored of hockey. Eric uh, said I would I would give my entire collection for a mint tops test or yeah, right on Yankees fan. Now that was a show and tell. Thanks, Yankees fan. Nikola Tesla almost bought that Lemieux recently. PCs, Lemieux and Jagger. Vashon Foods from the 80s. I remember those cards. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, Baz. Good convo, fellas. Appreciate that. Yeah, sorry, right. Jeremy. One more that just jumped in my head. Yeah. Uh, for some, I haven't given any uh, a basketball one, but there's uh, uh, a Drake's, uh, I think it's Drake's Cakes has a Shaquille O'Neal rookie card in it. That's pretty cool. And it, sometimes they'll surface on eBay. You could actually see the Shaq card through the, uh, I have one and it's through the packaging. So it's like a, uh, a cookie card but it's a pretty uh it's it's a cool Sha- Shaquille O'Neal card cool I'm not familiar with that Bobby Burrell says most excellent show boys truly enjoyed this one thank you Bobby um all right well let's wrap up Robbie final Robbie Bobby Robbie this time final words to you uh and then we're gonna wrap yeah I'm thanks for having me on uh Jeremy truly uh appreciate it you've been you know, taking me through the uh, the process and the way you interview is absolutely fantastic. I was a little nervous coming on, but you made the process super, uh, super enjoyable. And it was more of a conversation than anything. And thanks for all you do um, in the hobby and just continue doing what you're doing and putting out um, the content, man. I think there's some big things ahead for you for sure. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you for the encouragement. That is it's stuff like that that does uh, in part help keep me going. I'd probably do it anyway, but I do appreciate the kind words and thank you for coming on and again chat thank you so much for being here as always tomorrow night i'll be covering the hockey card auctions on pwcc and then monday night is mc mondays live a new content partnership i have with mike Kantz of mc sports cards covering his bi-weekly auctions on ebay every second monday and taking stock with dennis zender is now every second tuesday the other the other week it'll be mc mondays one week and taking stock the next week and I'm kind of doing a show on a Monday or a Tuesday so I can hang out with my wife and have some evenings to myself as well. So uh, thank you, Jake Dahl. Appreciate that. Nick Tesla. Thank you. Chris J. Appreciate that very much. With that, everybody, thank you for joining. And this episode 
of Sports Cards Live with our guest Robbie Pastry is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.